It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah, the last co-host standing. You're looking at him. The American Alpha is back. He's back with a bang. It's Brian Campbell, your BBC with that BDE one half of the fine morning combat hosting duo on this Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. Uh, if Tuesdays with Maury used to be a thing. How about Wednesdays with BC? That's what we've become here. Solo. Don't leave. Don't exit out now. Luke Thomas will, I think, finally be back this coming Friday, two days from now. So set your uh, your time clocks accordingly. But today, look. You know, you get the guy who's tried and true, okay? Uh, who stand here in the pocket, all right? Uh, dodging those sack attempts, okay? No sacks have touched this face. And um, <clears throat> I'm here. I'm bringing it. Um, I'm happy that Luke is getting this time with his family. He's getting refreshed. Shout out to Chuck Mindenhall, Shaquille Majori, who have filled in admirably in that time off. But today, it's going to be a fun-ass show here on the best damn combat sports show period an award-winning show what do we got we got some headlines to look at to set to set the stage storyline wise for the upcoming weekend we've got some fun and games did you like truth or trivia that time with chuck mindenhall the producers pushed me they said bc we need you in the hot seat we want to ask you the tough question so i haven't seen this shit uh, ahead of time this should be a ball of laughs and of course uh, BC's top 10 makes another return uh, you're gonna like this one okay I get this question a lot so I'm gonna answer it at the end of the show today so please like this video subscribe to the morning combat channel youtube.com slash morning combat yeah 105,000 people can't be wrong there's something special going on here so if you're new to these parts it's your three live episodes a week it's Breakthrough interviews with the biggest names in boxing and MMA. It is post-fight instant analysis. Uh, the best fun and games in between. How about our documentary number six? I mean, can we give it up for Jake Roseman, the fine documentarian, and our extended team here at Malka uh, Showtime CBS Sports? Uh, the, the 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 Showtime and Malka specifically on on these docs. Um, best in show number six. It's live. It went live yesterday. Thank you to everybody for all the kind feedback and 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 footback. Um, 
you know, I, I didn't intend for the narrative coming out of what might be the, what might be, we'll have to get into that at some point, what might be the best documentary in this already artsy classic series. I didn't think my own damn feet would become a center of attention in here. But, um, uh, you know, as I texted back to a few hecklers in my life who saw this and, and came at me as, as you all did at home, um, can you call yourself a, a, a self-respecting man if you have nice feet? You know what I mean? I mean, what are, what are we doing here, brah? Um, you know, maybe it's the French Canadian in me, right? But, uh, you know, we look at our, our feet, our toes, our toenails as, um, you know, as badges, as, as, a, as a history of what, of what we've been through, the wear and tear of life. Okay, the ups, the downs, the come from behinds, the come throughs, the reaches around, wherever we have to go to get there, the 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 tracks of our people, the 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 history, the long road, uh, the feet tell that story. Okay, maybe maybe you weren't ready for a story that brazen, that raw, that real, but really that's the uh, the spirit of what these documentaries are all about. Okay, documentizing the the growth, the journey, the walk of men. And I've walked a lot of miles in those shoes, if you will. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll keep them uh, off camera moving forward. But uh, I had to show the scars so I could set up a, a, a room to, to show the blessings. And we we won that award. It was a fun ride. So check that out. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Thank you. Uh, some days, someday, eventually, they will be the commercial success that they already are, both critically and in the heart of one BC uh, who look, I, you know, look at myself as an executive producer of sorts in this, although so many great people, Jake Roseman, Matt Snyder have big parts in it. So thank you for that. You're done hearing me ramble. I'm sure I am trying to address the BC solo sound situation that we've had going on. I've been accused of having a preachery voice that, you know, rises and falls during these solo shows. I'm trying to keep it level. Like a lot of things in my life. Talk to my therapist. Trying to find boundaries. Keep it all level. So we're going to have a fun show today. Um, Showtime is, of course, the label. One of the labels that pays us. So why don't you check out that for free. 30 days. Showtime.com is the address. And Championship Boxing. Bellator MMA's exclusive home in the U.S. Uh, big time movie series. You, you, you don't want to miss out on that shit. BC Showbox, February 18th. Be there. Okay. So uh, that's that. And this is this, uh, what other piece of business? Uh, maybe some of uh, podcasting awards. We already won the world MMA pod, uh, awards, uh, whatever you call it. Best in, in MMA programming, but at sportspodcastawards.com, your boys at MK for 2021 are up for best combat sports podcast. I think you already know who's the best, but, uh, here's your chance to have your say, go to that website, vote for us against the likes of, uh, Errol Hawani and the MMA hour, uh, Chris Jericho, you know, Tris Dixon. I mean, there's some heavy hitters across combat sports and beyond on there, but uh, there's going to be only one winner. And do you want a uh, live show in Las Vegas? Well, that's the carrot that CBS is dangling over the top of this potential win. So we'll see what happens right there. Um, yeah, so I guess that's about it. Why don't we get into the show? A uh, quick special dedication goes out to everybody out there in Bahama Bay in Philadelphia. Um, here we go now, right? Uh, <coughs> Goddamn, BC Solo. Y'all want to party like we do. It's time to get ready. Buckled in. Let's do this. Look, segment one off the top. We're going to set the stage for the weekend to come. And look at storylines. I had a Saturday's return in the UFC. Las Vegas, the apex UFC fight night brings you a very interesting middleweight clash atop that marquee. It's Jack Hermanson, a veteran of, of these type of five-round fight night main event 
pivotal turning point fights against a, a heavy riser right here in one Sean Strickland. Um, first off, you got, you know, shout out to the success of the UFC. Obviously, last year we gave the promotion their flowers so many times. But when they take one week off, which they did this past week, it's it, it feels like two, three, four, like a month. It feels like a long time since we've had this, even though 270 was just in our rear view. But uh, we're back, and I like this fight a lot. And when you look at the rankings, it, it, it tells an in, you know it tells the story at the basis in terms of what's at stake here. Sean Strickland ranked number seventh at middleweight in the UFC. Jack Hermanson six. So when you consider that Adesanya, the champion, is going to fight number one ranked Robert Whitaker. And you look at three and four, Jared Cannonier against Derek Brunson. And you look at who's ranked two and five between that, Vittori and Costa. And Costa's going nuts on social media trying to get a rematch in that one. Uh, this isn't a, hey, of these three f potential fights or four of them, whoever shines the best is going to get the next title shot. It's Nothing's guaranteed here. But I think the winner of this one, in particularly Sean Strickland, who's coming in with a a brighter star at the moment, you know, a, a loftier sense of potential, could really cash in on on what this could mean. Uh, maybe not a title shot next, but on the doorstep of one, considering he's ranked seventh coming in, considering the run he's been on. Uh, the last fight for Sean Strickland was huge against Uriah Hall. He showed us he can go the five round distance by just being a bully the whole time and implementing his strategy. And he's a tough ass out and obviously there's the whole other storyline about his mentality whether that very honest interview he did and instead of interviews around that is a real indication of some potential trouble there that that scared a lot of people me too i was like hey maybe this guy should uh, join me and get in some therapy here uh some had said look he's trying to be marketable he's trying to use that intensity uh for his advantage uh, that's a that's a tough 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 angle to play in that regard to try to do that but um if it is, it's working because he's a scary dude. And he's a scary dude mostly for what he actually does inside the cage. 82% uh, takedown defense has been a big part of his story, but obviously his striking and his pressure. And he comes at you with, with a, almost a sadistic sense to him. It reminds me of like Antonio Margarito in, in boxing, uh, if, if you were a fan of him over his run. Just puts the pressure on and stands right in front of you Strickland not right in front of you sort of somewhere between mid and close distance but he sets up shop his boxing is very technical and not only does he hit hard and, and he's a great combination puncher but he doesn't have to put a lot into his shots to have big time success meaning he can he'll stand in front of you and he'll move but those arm shots those short jabs and short right hands they they pile up in succession and he hits hard enough that he that he can uh he can make a big impact on you and control you there. And obviously you love the style contrast here because uh Jack Hermanson is is very, very crafty and skilled at taking the fight to the ground and, and having success in a grappling sense. And if Jack Hermanson has a plus 175 underdog at right now, according to DraftKings, and obviously we'll get into a more detailed preview, Luke and I, on, on this fight on, on how it could be won. But in theory, if he doesn't stop, if he's not able to take Sean Strickland down, this could be this could be a long night because I think Strickland really established against Hall that this at this level that this style works. And, and Uriah Hall's older, although still being dangerous and has some holes, of course, and is a different fighter than Hermanson altogether. But damn, that plan A worked and it kept working and it was dominant. And uh, the pressure that Strickland puts on and the poise that he has in executing it, it 
it it really could be a problem for the true elites in this division. And I think you have to start to love the idea of if he can win this fight against Hermanson, it's the right test at the right time. Does that style look like against Ben Israel Adesanya, who's the champion, who, whether it's him or Whitaker coming out of that title fight, you know, what does it look like against these maybe on the surface more skilled for sure fighters and, and more experienced, but uh, Strickland's coming and he don't seem to care about the opponent, the situation, the platform. He's a guy that's just bringing. Okay, so Marvin Vittori was a guy that was just bringing it as well. But I think Strickland's mixture of technical prowess with that sort of crazy, um, uh, you know, let you let's go to hell. I'll, I'll take you to hell. You want you want to get like I I belong in hell. His willingness to do that, you know, he's not a free swinging, free wheeling, uh, a, a crazy man. There's there's a calculation to him. So if he can stay off the ground against Romanson. This is the fight where he could showcase his skills very well now that we have the, the proof that he can go five rounds, that that's not going to be a hole or a problem. Um, Hermanson is is very much in this fight, very much capable. We've seen him sort of flip wins and losses in recent years, but look at how quickly he took Gastelum down, or, you know, took brought the fight to the ground and ended it against Kelvin Gastelum. And obviously, you know, he took the best of against Edmund Shabazi in his most recent win the best of what Shabazzian, a great first round fighter. And I, I say that both as a compliment and obviously a, a you know, a bit of a negative um, is so good in the first round at being dangerous and putting it on you. Well, how Hermanson was able to, you know, survive that and, and spin it back in his favor and just take full control on the ground. It was very impressive. So looking forward to this main event for all of the reasons, of course, that I just said, um, not a particularly deep card in big names, but some interesting Matchups and storylines here. The the co-main event as it stands now with middleweights, uh, Puna Soriano, who's who's fun, coming off a loss, but very fun. And and you want to sort of figure out is he just an all-action guy in this division, or or you know can he use experience and loss and put it together and, and figure out how to be great and figure out how to make a run at this top ten? Well, interesting fight against Nick Maximov, who we don't know a ton about. Maximov, a, a plus one sixty uh, underdog coming in, but. In his one UFC fight, he looked great in getting a decision win over Cody Brundage, and he had a decision win in the Dana White Contender Series before that. He's 7-0 and overall, Maximov, and just 24 years old. So um, interesting matchmaking here. But if you're looking up and down this card, what's the what's the dominant storyline aside from the main event? It's Luke's boy. <laughs> it's Luke's boy, the, the Kazakh Thunder here in welterweight, Shavka Rachmanov. And um, let's give Luke credit. He was day one-ish on him. Like he kind of was to a large degree on Cyril Gaon, maybe not day one, but day two, day one and a half, um, telling you now this guy, you know, is probably headed toward title consideration. Luke has been saying that through two UFC appearances for Rachmanov. And, you know, I went back and rewatched the tape of those two fights uh, this morning just to kind of remember exactly what this dude brings to the table. And it, it, it turns out everything. It turns out he brings absolutely everything to the table. So he'll be taking on Carlston Harris, who's a plus 185 underdog at the moment, minus 225 for Shavkat. But Rachmanov, 14-0, and 27 years old, and the two wins, both submissions, Cowboy Oliveira in the first one, and Michel Prezeris, who's now suspended and retired. Um, after that, they were freaking dominant, violent, vicious, technical... And really everything you would want to see from a poised, deadly kind of young, you know, fighter on the rise who's making his 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 announcement of who he is. And he's a Sambo master and he's came in with a reputation for having just sick cardio, which we really haven't, you know, really hasn't haven't had a chance to see that yet in the UFC. 
but it's the pinpoint hard striking. It's the variety of the knees and the kicks and the threat of that. And it's just that he's like, he, he reminds me a little bit of, of, of the figure Askar Askarov plays in the flyweight division, meaning that like, he's just tough as nails and can do it all. You know what I mean? Like he can mess you up on the feet. He can submit you. He's just sturdy in the clinch and in takedown defense and all that in Rachmanov's definitely that and more so far. So uh, I don't think Carlston Harris has the potential to be the, the name that like wakes everybody up, but it's going to be probably if, if he stays consistent to the run, he's on for Rachmanov another chance to just thoroughly soundly defeat somebody and, and, and uh, make us realize that sometimes, you know, Luke Thomas, who puts in the time. I mean, you know, who else is going to watch that Volkanovsky-Holloway rematch that many times? Um, he circles his, you know, he doesn't like to make picks. He doesn't like to make long-range projections, right? Uh, but once in a while he does, and, and they tend to come through. Now, his, his handling of vacation days, <laughs> has that been efficient or, you know, crowd-pleasing? That, you know, that's up to the eye of the beholder, which is you right now. Because you know your boy BC can go solo all day, two hours. God, you know they they have to pull me off of this microphone. Okay, you know keep keep your keep your daughters off the pole is what I always tell Luke. Keep, keep BC off the mic. Okay, that's that's up to you at your peril. All right, because I'm bringing it. Like like Justin Gaethje with leg strikes and a lightweight title bout. I'm I'm bringing it until you stop me. So um wow, BC on a roll. Uh, interesting card the rest of the way. Nothing jumps out at you per se, but we'll break it up and down with Luke and get his takes. Uh, this is one of the more, you have to agree, right? An MK lure, an MK history. This has to be one of the more anticipated returns of one of us because of the length of Luke being off, the fact that the doc came out in between and was such a feel-good hit and Luke looked like this, like, human hero in it. I, I'm interested to see what Luke Thomas has got in week one of this comeback, okay? Bring it, all right? Because the thing is, I'm never going to stop trying to bury that guy. And, I, and maybe that's what makes this this show special, or maybe that's why, you know, it's hard to be friends with me. It's really up to you to decide that as well. Topic number two is our uh, other big combat event of the weekend. I mean, there's a lot going on. Clarissa Shields is back in England. There's, there's a few fights in boxing and MMA across the board outside of UFC, but one of these is a PBC on Fox pay-per-view and a very interesting matchup that's going to tell us a lot about the future. When former welterweight champion Keith one-time Thurman uh, makes a return from two and a half years off due to injury, COVID, the birth of his daughter. Uh, the ponytail's gone. He's 33. He's got the almost a dad on the verge of maybe starting to bald haircut going on. And, you know, the big questions are, is, is he that same guy? Because it's not just two and a half years off since his loss to Manny Pacquiao. But, you know, the Pacquiao performance, by the way, was fantastic. L lost a split decision. I was one of the rare people who scored it for Thurman. You know, I, I feel rounds-wise, rounds doing the math, Close, great fight. But the fight before that, his comeback fight from a previous two-year layoff due to multiple injuries, fought Josecito Lopez and got he got got knocked around, got almost stopped, and it was a scary return. So while he amended that against Pacquiao, despite being dropped early and, and despite losing, right, had a very strong performance, he's fought twice in five years in the midst of his absolute prime. And when Keith Thurman went away, in originally in 2017, after the win over Danny Garcia, in which he unified titles against an unbeaten champion, he had the best welterweight resume at that time. He had never been able to lure Floyd Mayweather, which he tried like hell as sort of the mandatory you know, contender for a while. And yet he said, okay, let's get Sean Porter. Let's get 
uh, Danny Garcia. Let's get whoever we can get. He was the guy in boxing's money division. And then he fought twice in five years. And it's like, who is he now? So pay-per-view in Las Vegas against Mario Barrios. And uh, Barrios making his debut at 147 here. Of course, you remember him last June. Barrios at 140 brought in his secondary title against Gervonta Tank Davis' second or moving up in weight to 140. And, and they had a pay-per-view thriller. It was a great action fight. And Barrios held strong until he got stopped late. And for Thurman coming off a loss and being off this long, it's an interesting matchup. The odds are a lot closer than you might realize, in fact. I don't have them actually in front of me, but it's like a, you know, less than a two-to-one favorite is Thurman. I mean, it was like minus one-something and and plus on the other end, very low in the 100s for Barrios. Why? Because of those questions about Thurman and because Barrios did look really good at, at against uh, Tank Davis and maybe, you know, moving up to 147, not having to cut, maybe he just fills into this role as an aggressive, long action fighter at this weight class. Um, you can't overlook the fact that Thurman got rocked against Jose Cito Lopez back in 2019, rocked badly. And there's a lot of questions about his want anymore in the sport. And some of it is, you know, unfair or overblown, but some of it's legit. There's a lot of people that, that don't think Keith Thurman's ever been the same since the second half of that Danny Garcia fight. Now that's hyper inside boxing trivia critiquing right there of, of saying Thurman was ahead he tasted Danny's power. He started to coast a little bit. Garcia made a run and only lost by split decision and almost backdoored, you know, a victory with pressure. But did Keith dig in like he did against Sean Porter? Does he, does he want to be a fighter? You know, is he still a warrior or is he somebody that likes the money and the fame that he got from climbing the ladder and then just sort of said, you know, I'm cool, which has happened a lot of times, by the way, at the elite level. Uh, I had a great interview with him at uh, youtube.com slash morning combat. I encourage you to check it out. We're going to see uh, a sample or two from it in a second, but uh, in which I brought up these questions to him, the, the, the critics, you know, that, that have their doubts here at 33 uh, and sort of, you know, how are you going to make up for lost time? How much has this, this, the way things have played out bothered you, you know, do you still have the heart for this? Here's Keith Thurman talking about the layoff and his hopes and plans for 2022, starting with Mario Barrios on Saturday. Oh, definitely, man. You know, and 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 that's why I can keep my head on right. You know, at the end of the day, Keith Thurman is still one of the biggest names in the welterweight division. My resume can go toe to toe with anybody. I'm still one of the most qualified fighters, with or without a belt. Uh, I'm a champion, and people know that. You know, uh, so at the end of the day, we we really just need to do what you want me to do, and that's get back in the ring. You know, yeah. get back to the ring, get back into action and and stay active. You know, um, a lot of things that have happened, they're not ideal. They're not they're not you know, they're not something you put on your to do list. Let me not be in the ring for two and a half years. Let me have elbow surgery. Let me have bone fusion surgery. These are not on the to do list. You know, these are things that manifested in my life and my career. These are some of the struggles that I've faced. But, you know, hurdles are put there to jump over and overcome man so these obstacles i've overcome them uh i feel great at the age of 33 i might have missed like two great years in my prime but luckily we're still in our prime well if you're new to the keith thurman experience he's always a hell of an interview loves speaking about himself in third person not afraid to play the flute if you've seen those videos and uh with the formerly the long ponytail he's an eclectic confident an interesting guy and you know he's again he's heard the knockings of of 
can he still be that same guy? Um, so I, I, long way of me saying I love this matchup, but I do understand some of the customer, you know, hardcore fans uh, come back saying, is this really a pay-per-view fight? Really? Really? And at the elevated price of $74.95, look, I think we got, you know, I, I work for a company that does a great job in pay-per-views, but I think overall in boxing, we have too many boxing pay-per-views and some of them are overpriced. And maybe this fa falls into both of those categories of, you know, is it really one and is it too expensive? Probably negative responses would be adequate for both, but is it a great matchup? <laughs> Hell yeah. And is it important for the future? Without question, Thurman believes a win here puts him right back in line to fight a champion. And if you're, you know, in defense of him picking burial, he says, look, I was presented a, a list of names and there were a bunch of them that, you know, are known, but they had four or five losses. And he's like, what does that give me? He claims he picked Barrios because he has just one loss and he looked very good in that one loss. And his, you know, his brand is moving up and, he, and, and he's young. And, you know, in that regard, I respect that because if you do look at the lay of the land, Errol Spence, who has two of the four welterweight belts, he's fighting your Dennis Ugas this spring, who has the WBA belt in a unification, a big fight that matters. He can't, you know, Thurman can't find either, either of those guys. And Terrence Crawford, who has the WBO belt, is a free agent and is suing top rank for racism. And, you know, I thought Terrence Crawford, you know, the day after that contract ended, would announce he's signing with the PBC. But, you know, we don't know. We'll have to see what happens. And he's not fighting at the moment. And then, of course, Pacquiao's retired. Sean Porter just retired. So... Danny Garcia wants to move up to junior middleweight. So this is the fight that Keith was offered and the best one of the mix, and he took it. But he, with a win here, he could make some very big fights. I mean, uh, him against Spence is business. That's, that's a great fight. And Keith, it's like what he said to me about, you know, not taking damage over the last five years for the most part and how much that could help him feel rejuvenated and all that. I mean, that's true. That's true. You also have to have the timing back. And when he came back against... Jose Cito Lopez, uh, the timing was off and something about him was off. He looked, you know, he had dropped Lopez early, but then got, got, got cornered and, and wrote and put against the ropes and hurt and rushed on, you know, if you're Barrios, that that's an, that's the angle you want to try to play without question. And that's Barrios' skill set. But you know, if, if Thurman is still one of the most well-rounded skilled fighters in this game, when he's at his best, the version of him that lost to Manny Pacquiao, yes, Pacquiao was 40, but like. Pacquiao damn near, you know, reeled off a fighter of the year campaign that year by beating Adrian Broner and then beating Thurman. I mean, this is still a dangerous Manny Pacquiao and Thurman is such a perfect mix of boxing and punching. His nickname one time is about, you know, the, the, the power of his punches that it takes one to floor people. And that was a better indication of who he was when he was climbing the ladder and he was more of a knockout guy. He became more of a boxer on the title level. And some people think for, you know, out of out of not wanting to trade, but I think it was more to in a lot of ways to round out his game and and in in these super close amazing title fights that sometimes you know or more often than not can be the difference the the guy who can stand in there and trade big and take it, but who is the better boxer doing the better work throughout? That's what Thurman did against Sean Porter. That's what he did against Andy Garcia. So um, I do have questions though about who Thurman has been since the second half of that Danny Garcia fight and in. And you add in layoffs, you add in injuries. It's a hell of a storyline just to see what he still looks like because uh, he's got a great resume. His big wins still hold up, but he's the forgotten man in this division. And the Spence and Bud Crawford story that followed right after Thurman's departure. Now you got uh, Boots Ennis on the rise. You know, and Team Jerron Ennis claims they, they reached out to Thurman's camp to try to fight. And 
Thurman responded with, I, I don't know who that guy is, which is, a, you know, of course, a, a, a nice veteran trick to try to pull, but has some true meaning underneath of why he wouldn't want that fight right now. But uh, it's always going to be a fun and great welterweight division. It's going to be a better one. And I said welterweight there because that's how Keith Thurman pronounces it. When Thurman's in the mix and when he's potentially, you know, has a chance to, to be a, a B. Imagine him as a B side against all these guys. I need to see Keith Thurman against Crawford, against Spence, against Ugas, against all these guys. So it all goes down on Saturday. We'll we'll break the matchup down a little bit closer on Friday in terms of who wins all that. But uh, I got one more piece of sound from Thurman uh, on sort of why he picked Berrios and, and, you know, the fight he expects to see in the ring this weekend. I mean, he's an ex-world champion. And, you know, anything that I was about to do off of a two-and-a-half-year layoff, I thought was going to be, you know, critiqued one way or another i think i was going to suffer criticism no matter what move i was going to make and there weren't big names being offered you know um the other fighters were respectable fighters but they got like four losses on their record so what does that do for keith thurman you know so what i liked about mario barrios is that he had the best record you know um it, it was kind of simple and in comparison to the other options that i was getting um I just don't think that it, I always want to make the best fight I can make at a certain time uh, in my career. Back in 2019, I fought Jose Cito Lopez. That was after a 22 month layoff, right? A 22 month layoff. And then right after that, I brought one of the most exciting fights against Manny Pacquiao. And that's what I want to do this year. I want to take this fight and then I want to fight uh, one of these great champions. Uh, Thurman went on in great detail about what went wrong against Pacquiao, the lesson he learned on how he can, um, uh, you know, not make that same mistake again, and how he can use that lesson against Berrios is interesting. So check that out, morning, uh, youtube.com slash morning combat. Also, we look back in hindsight, we say, hey, 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 uh, Thurman, did Floyd, did Floyd duck you looking back? I mean, they duck you straight up. We'll get into that more. So check that out. Uh, MMA fans are welcome as well. Thank you very much. Let's go to topic number three, and that's a, a batch of quick hitters here, which is our, our Lazy Man special. I love quick hitters. Great category, right? Um, Paul Daly has announced he's going to have one more fight. Uh, you know, I saw a tweet from Ariel Hawani that, that's that's uh, that's apropos. It, it, it hit home. It's like to see these guys who were on top and made their name back when us and the media were starting to make our name and kind of came up with these guys. Yeah. It's tough to see that when they start retiring, you know, one after another and, and to see Paul Daly, who's been in so many great wars, 38 years old. Uh, you just, one of those guys that feels like he's been fighting forever and you just sort of like assume he's going to fight forever. And uh, I mean, for all we know, he may continue in, uh, in, in a bare knuckle capacity, but he says this is his last uh, fight. And uh, here's his quote in the interview with Ariel Hawani on the MMA hour. Homasi was going to be my last fight, but Bellator wanted to put it in America. And I don't think the UK at the time were allowing shows people to travel over for productions to produce a show over there. So yeah, that was going to be my last fight. Then they offered Jason Jackson with title implications. So I took that fight. It didn't go my way. So I owe my fans, my family to have this last fight over here in the UK. Uh, Bellator would be very smart to try to get as big of a action name as they can to put. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Great. If good old Nick Diaz, you know, who's, who's, uh, wouldn't it be great if UFC is just like, okay, we already said publicly, we don't think Nick should keep fighting and whatever uh, you're gone, you know? And then, and then, you know, Nick gets paid one more time to fight, uh, you know, people say BC is not hypocritical. You, 
you said you didn't want to see him anymore. You didn't like him in there against Lawler. No, because that's still you know being presented as elite level fighting. And Nate Nick, excuse me, did not come into that fight ready. Uh, you, you know, we're finding out afterwards. Like he was felt like he was forced to fight. He wasn't like that. That's scary. I don't want to see that. But could I? What I could I see a, a Paul Daly send off in an alternate world in which Nick was able to be a free agent and put in one more great camp and took it seriously and wanted something like this? It's hard when you got that flavor. For this kind of old guy flavor, it's hard to lose that. I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to correct that. I'm trying to control that vice in my life, like I had to control fast food or and gas station urges, you know, with the, uh, with the liver uh, situation. But <clears throat> I want to see Paul Daly be able to go off on his own terms with a bang. Uh, Semtex has given us a lot. He's been a fun guy to watch uh, across the board. I mean, that's a, Paul Daly versus Nick Diaz, one of the greatest action fights of all time, probably the best fight in Strikeforce history. And, you know, uh, I think Paul Daly got a raw deal in his, in hindsight, in his UFC exit and never getting another chance. But he, he built a very nice coda, you know, not coda, but really, really second half, second chapter of his career in Bellator. He's made, he was involved in some fun fights. He was involved in some awful fights. Remember that MVP dance? <laughs> Remember that one? Wow. All right. Uh, also in movement in the MMA space, Jeremy Stevens um, officially signs with PFL, I believe is the news here. And, to try to get you a little bit more fired up here, the featherweight banger. He's called out a big fish, Anthony Pettis. So I believe this is a interview Stevens did on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, and he said, uh, I've seen Pettis in the UFC. We were hanging, shaking hands, but honestly, bro, he looked fat and out of shape. His cheeks look like cheeseburgers. That boy looks like he's getting paid too much, so I would love to run that back with Anthony. Last time I turned him into a wrestler, he just wanted to wrestle me the whole time. We were in a different place in space at the time. I think now we could bring a lot more violence and action packed and I'm going to be in better shape than that boy. Trust me. He's eating too good. End quote. Uh, wow. That's aggressive. Uh, I like it. Uh, obviously Anthony Pettis did not have the best, uh, debut year by any means in, in PFL. You know, you, you had to think of him as potentially a favorite to win that tournament coming in. And he, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll great. You know, yeah. What does he have left? Uh, he's back for this year. You, you could do a lot worse than making these guys against each other again. Yeah, let's do that. Um, uh, Jeremy Stevens went on to talk about his contract with Ariel, and uh, and he said at the end of the day, you know, uh, talked with the UFC, decided on PFL after, you know, getting released essentially, and uh, now he's going to do his best to, quote, knock everybody the fuck out and get a million dollars. And, you know, for a gunslinger like him, that should be the attitude he's going to bring to the PFL. And, and uh Will he move up and enter the welterweight tournament? I mean, I don't know. That's jumping over, uh, jumping over a lot of room there. But um, it'll be fun to see him. I mean, Jeremy Stevens is he got a lot of mileage on him. Let's never overlook that. And this is a legitimate, scary losing streak, which which really leaves questions. But he is the kind of guy who, if he does take a a full step down in matchmaking, like Triller Triad BKFC lane, he he probably could have some success there. So uh, he's. He's making a bold move in, in some ways by saying, okay, UFC run is over, but I still want to swing big in the PFL, and they just signed with ESPN for, for a new deal, and uh, we'll see what happens. Very interesting. Uh, report on a Alexander Gustafson heavyweight return that it's going to come against Ben Rothwell, reported by Front Kick, and the targeted date is May 21st. Um, I got weird mixed feelings about this Alex Gustafson uh, heavyweight sojourn that he's on this little uh you know he retired 
after the, I mean, he looked really bad in the John Jones rematch. And I got decent high hopes given the questions surrounding John at that time that that could have been another sort of fun action fight. And it was, you know, weird tactical fight for a couple of rounds as John controlled from distance and then he just completely demolished him. And since then, I mean, he got hammered and Anthony Smith submitted him and then he retired. And uh, the comeback fight against Fabricio Verdum was uh, was quick. It was a first round submission loss. So that was July 2020. It's been a long time. I don't have high hopes. He's still so young, though, that it's hard. Uh, he's 35. I mean, it's not it's not so young, but he's young enough where, okay, there's probably a little bit left there, but uh, at heavyweight, you could you could make a mistake and get uh, get hurt really bad. So this is interesting. Um, this is an, actually an interesting matchup in some ways, too. Rothwell's, he's at the end of it, too, but uh, he's, he's, he's a difficult out still in a lot of different ways, and he's, hairy, he's a hairy bastard. You know, shout out to Ben Rothwell. All right. Ah. Uh, and how about this fight for the same night, May 21st, UFC targeting this one. It would be a Bantamweight bout, and it would have legitimate uh, potential title considerations as Holly Holm at 40, despite all those talk and teases about maybe her wanting to get back into the boxing mix, considering right in her weight class is going to be the biggest women's boxing match of all time on paper with Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano on April 30th. Uh, Holm's going to stay at UFC Bantamweight and fight Ketlin Vieira. Now that... It's a big fight for this division, and it's an interesting uh, potential style one with the striking on the feet, and uh, it's one I believe Holly Holm can win. I mean, that's the thing. We don't know. We got. We got. We need Pena Nunes too to happen, and it's not going to happen soon. And the you know, for all we know, they're going to do the Ultimate Fighter season. But like, I. It's like we need to know whether was it just one really bad night at the office or. Whether Nunes comes back and wins the rematch or not, is this a new era for Juliana Pena where she's now elite? Has she figured out how to find the best of her? Uh, some questions have to be answered, but if Pena holds on to that title, out of the question that, that Holm wins that, seriously, at 40. And it's like she already had such a unique and incredible career. And, and I don't mean to be some like super fan here because I'm not. But I've obviously come to really respect how Holly Holm has, despite age, has really stayed at the same level. So it's weird. She stayed at the same level of contention. She's always right there, ranked one or two in two weight classes, it seems. But, you know, she's rebounded so well from defeats and keeps rounding out her game and, and not taking a major slip. She doesn't have the type of defeats where you're like, even though she's got a lot of defeats, right? You you, you forget that. Her record's 14-5 and five overall, and... She's already has such a unique resume in that, like, she's living so much on that Rousey win still. But then whenever she surfaces back up to fight somebody who could be on their way to title contention, she shows you that she's the one who's still in title contention. And I mean, she dominated Megan Anderson and and then she beats Raquel Pennington in the rematch and Irene Aldana. So she's she's on a great run right now. And it. There's there's possibility here that she fights for gold again, seriously. And with Amanda with the questions about Amanda, you never know. I mean, I don't think would they straight up do an Amanda Holly rematch? I mean, there's left star power in it. And and if Holly wins this one, that would be three in a row. And if if Nunes wins back the title at 35, then it, despite how dominant that, that first round loss was for Holly, and it was uh Nunes in, in uh twenty nineteen, first round head kick, KO, put it on her. And but it's a different newness now. So a lot of, lot of, lot of title contention here, uh, aspiration and, and positioning with this because Ketlin Vera in the mix as well, of course. 
Also, Paulo Costa is a late addition on the menu from BC. Uh, I mentioned he wants Marvin Vittori. He wants him real bad. Um, Costa even saying, I'm not even interested in fighting in general anymore uh, if it's not Vittori. So here's the the quote that Costa told uh, AG Fight. Is that the website here? AG Fight? Am I mispronouncing that? Uh, Costa saying, I just said to let Dana White know. I'll fight Vittori now. If it's the only fight that interests me, no one else interests me unless it's for the title, but I'm no fool. I'm not stupid to consider a title fight. Now I want to fight him. He's the only vis viable guy that interests me. I don't respect him. I want to end his life. He's an a-hole, a fool. He had this win over me and thinks he's the man, but he's an a-hole, a child. We see he's a goof. He can't even wear shorts the right way. There's a photo of him with his shorts backwards and he still thinks he's the man, but I'll fight him again. Um, I'm angry. I want to hurt him. These are these are wild quotes here. Not 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 surprising from one Paulo Costa, who is is was a wild dude, and is, I think his career is at a very interesting point. So Paulo Costa loses that fight against Vittori last time out, but it was so close and it was all action, and Costa had these huge swings of momentum in his favor. Uh, but I think he's screwed up. Meaning, I think Costa's never going to be the guy we thought he could be entering the Adesanya. It's almost as if like how that fell apart and the wine excuse afterwards and all that. It's like all that either changed him for the worse for good in how I perceive this or he never was, you know, who we thought he could be. And and he won a lot of these fights on just being a freak athlete and a finisher and an aggressive guy. But the skill's still there. But man, he uh, the decisions to just bang <laughs> in the cage. Uh, I. I think this is who he is now. And uh, could I be entertained by a Vittori rematch? Absolutely. And, and you know, they're both still highly ranked in the top 10. So it's not, uh, you know, out of the realm for either of them here to get a big win and, and, and then get a big fight after this. That that could lead to a title shot. But uh, interesting. Interesting to say the least. Um, Mikey chiming in. All right. So that wraps up our topics. Oh, one more. One more for you quick. Floyd Mayweather, weird announcement, starting the money team racing team, TMRT, he's calling it. And uh, he's going to join with sponsor Pit Viper. And Floyd's team is going to make their NASCAR debut at the Daytona 500 uh, in February with uh, Kaz Grayla driving the number 50 car. Tony Uri Jr. The the uh, in the headset there. Um, that's news I didn't see coming. All right, but Floyd uh, making like a profound move into that space that, you know, to make a run at something here at the highest level, it's something to watch. You know, I don't, I don't watch the left turning cars these days, but um, I don't know. I don't know what the. Uh... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With the motivation and, and influence there, maybe Floyd's a, a huge fan, but and I didn't realize that, but uh, interesting to watch moving forward. All right, so uh, we had a fill-in fun segment last week when Chuck Mindenhall was in the, in the chair and uh, we needed something to do with Luke out. We called it Truth or Trivia. But this week, the producers say, no, BC, we got more time to fill. Luke's, Luke's still living it up, you know, down there in the other America. Uh, why don't we spin it back on you? Why don't we put you in the hot seat to answer the trivia questions with the potential, with a wrong answer, having to get personal and share something maybe you didn't plan on sharing coming in. Maybe something that's not beneficial to the futures of your career and well-being to share publicly. But this show's so batshit crazy to begin with. Why not continue gambling and rolling that dice? We call this Truth or Trivia. All right, I have to shout out William the Donk for helping the team out apparently on the trivia side of this. Uh, Mikey Morm's the producer on this. Uh, let me bring in uh, the fine director, producer. No, he's not the next Jay Aaron. He's the first Gaff. Gaff, are you there? Gaffney Pierre in the uh, on the ones and twos there. Well, full on drug rug sighting <laughs> right there. Yeah, I mean, well, we do have the code today, so uh, you might as well just throw that up now, right? Oh, did I not hit up the, the code earlier? <laughs> no, you didn't hit it at the top. All right, let's we'll hit it now. <laughs> let's remind all the folks here. Uh, 15% off all sweatshirts, hoodies, drug rugs. That's still an ongoing thing this week by using our promo code HOODIE15, H-O-O-D-I-E 15. Uh, you can get 15% off. Gaff's wearing it right there. I've been wearing this stuff all. I, it's my life wearing this stuff. Uh, shout out, by the way. To all the great donks out there that have supported us by buying merch, I've been told for the fourth time, fourth time, Gaff, fourth time, drug rugs are sold out and they had to go back to the, wow, that's on brand. They had to go back to the well and try to produce some more because it's what the people want. So Gaff, in honor of the weird items that continue to be created, birthed and sold, and I'm including the Hawaiian shirt with BC's face on it, the underwear with Luke right up there on your old, uh, right in there, you know, in your old <laughs> grundle. Um, I didn't think this shit would work, drug rugs included, but it has. So our, our great team, our merch maven, RJ Dunkelmaker said, hey, put it out to the people. We In the comments, in the live chat below, we want to hear what big picture dream item, you know, is it MK... Factory Town MMA rash guards. What is it that you need to see on our website? Gaff, how weird is this going to get? Could get weird, but I, I don't know, man. A, a lot of the merch has been really good. Like, even my mom wears the uh, the Christmas one with you and Brian oh. on it. Oh, <laughs> I mean, shit. And Luke on it. Yeah, she loves that one. Uh, she wears that pretty often. So, I mean, all right. Shout out really to good. Mama P <laughs> rocking that. I love that. Okay. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> uh, so, morningcombat.store and, and drop in, as I mentioned, in the comments in in live chat of this YouTube video, uh, your suggestions, folks, is something that you want to see, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen there. Gaff, it's truth or trivia time. Five trivia questions. Each one I get wrong that escalate in difficulty, it'll also escalate in how personal you're going to ask of me. So exactly. I'll give you the floor, my friend. All right, BC. So we have five questions. Um, I'm going to hit you with the first one. I'll read it to you, and I'll say your 30 seconds starts now. After that, start 30 seconds. 
you can start. If you don't give your final answer by the end of that 30 seconds, we have another question for you. So, you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here's the first I have first no idea question. what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right, BC, who is the first lightweight to get a finish in the UFC lightweight title fight? Your hint, it was a submission. Your time starts now. The first lightweight title fight finish. Who was the guy who got the finish? You got 20 seconds. All right. <clears throat> was it Pat Militich? I am sorry, BC. That is wrong. You still have 10 seconds. Uh, BJ Penn. Wow. With one second left to go, you got it. Does that count even though I got it wrong <laughs> yeah, already? No, no, that counts. That counts. Right. I'll count. You just have to get it within the 30 seconds. So that was, that was a great guess. Good job, BC. You made it past the first yeah, one. Yeah, stay out of my personal life, Gap. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the ringleader in this circuit. <laughs> All right, you're, this is the second question. Three fighters are tied with five wins in a calendar year. Kevin Holland did it in 2020. Who are the other two fighters with five wins inside a calendar year? Your time starts now. Does, do all five have to come in the UFC? Yes. 30 seconds. I mean, because Cynthia Calvillo had four uh, a, a few years, 2017. But I think the fifth one was, or maybe it was the fourth one came out of the UFC. Okay, so let's take her out of the mix. Um, 10 seconds. Cowboy Cerrone. No. And, and uh, Jim Miller. Yeah, I, yeah I, you're going to remind I'm me sorry, when I hear BC. this. Crap. <laughs> the answer is Neil Magny. And Roger Huerta. Okay, I didn't know the Huerta. I did know the Magnet. <laughs> I should have guessed him just by his willingness to constantly uh, stay that busy. But uh, okay, that's a good question. I'll take that L. All right. All right. So, BC, this is the personal question that we're going to ask you. You ready? Yes. What causes outside of MK are you most passionate about? Oh, wow. I don't, I don't normally get asked a, a serious side like this. Um... I'm very passionate. Well, I don't support any animal causes, but I'm very passionate for my love of animals. And I probably should look into uh, some of that. I have, you know, as you've seen at times on this show, three cats, two dogs. And, you know, they're my I mean, they're my absolute life. But causes in life. Uh, look, today's a special day, Gaff. Um, today, my sons, Isaac and Christopher, turned 14. Oh, and, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and it's 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 always a big birthday when you've gone through so much uh, to get there. And, and by the way, one, my son, I just had major surgery on his uh, right arm yesterday and is, is recovering and, and hanging tough uh, to try to amend the challenges of cerebral palsy on him. And, 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 it, and uh, it's been a wild ride. My kids were born uh, four and a half months premature and they were both in different hospitals in different states for almost a year and had six surgeries each the first year. Just, you know, I could go on and on, but there were multiple, I've been in that, that room, right? I've been in that room a lot where they give you the really bad news. And, uh, and uh, through that journey, you know, really love causes and supporting, you know, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, we had such 
uh, you know, that charity. We had such love and support at Boston's Children's Hospital when we spent a long time there. And, uh, you know, any cause like that uh, to, to celebrate or help parents, you know, because it's like, you know, Luke had that great quote in the um, in the doc where he's like, you know, doesn't happen this way for most. Right. And, you know, my kids had such crazy journey to get here and multiple medical miracles and surviving surgeries that they shouldn't have and things body parts on the inside growing back when it's when it's physically impossible that like I don't know how to explain beyond you know it doesn't happen this way for most because I was there on the front lines during my time and it didn't happen that way for a lot of people it, it happened horribly so uh you know th there's a lot of bad endings unfortunately in, in that game and uh I, I definitely am a big time supporter in uh you know pediatric uh, you know, my son had that great wish granted through the Kids Wish Network and supporting, you know, companies like that that do great to help uh, families because that's that's among the most stressful walks you can go down when you have no power and something's that small. You know what I mean? You have no power of protection. That's a that's a uh, you'll end up in therapy with me at the end of the day for that. Guy, right. <laughs> That's understandable, BC, but I, to hear that you went through all that and you're still here and you're fighting, that's awesome, man. You're blessed. You truly are blessed. I am. My, my kids are 14. They're amazing. So today's, a, as every Groundhog's Day for them are, 2208, uh, it, it, it's amazing. It's a, it's a blessing. Every, every birth, you realize quickly, Gaff, that every birth is a miracle after you go through stuff like that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, let's keep this truth or trivia train rolling. Uh, we got the third trivia question. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Third question. Can you name the only UFC event to have a 100% finish rate? Okay, I Your feel time? like this... Oh, starts now. I feel like this is relatively recent. Like between 2015 and 2020, relatively recent. Am I off on that, at least, Gav? Uh, yeah, you're, uh, yeah, you're wrong. You're definitely wrong. <laughs> Early, okay, so it's it's a lot earlier. All right. I can't ask you if it was a fight night or a pay-per-view, right? It was a fight night. So a correct answer would be the city or the number, right? Uh, or the yeah. main event. I, but... I know the fight card that you're talking about. I do not remember the elements around it. I'll take the loss. What was the answer? That's a great question. Uh, the answer is UFC Fight Night 55, Rockhold versus Bisping. In Australia, yes. There was... Yeah. Yes, I remember that card distinctly, and and that fight, which is what made the Bisping upset in the rematch even, even grander and even wilder, amazing moment uh, because of how much Ruckle kicked the shit out of him in that first <laughs> fight and that card, which was all all finishes all the time. What were some of the other fights offhand on that card? Yeah, we got a um, Ross Pearson sighting. Ally Quinto was on the card. Robert Whitaker, Sam Alvey was on the card. All right, so here is your personal question. Oh, boy. If you could go back and change one decision in your life, what would that be? Okay, so it's really hard to um, pinpoint any... I mean, unless unless a major bad decision, uh, you know, like had a, a... Like hamstrung the rest of your life, right? You know, if you got arrested at 21 for something stupid and it, you know embarrassed you and got in the way okay i want you want to take that back but a lot of the other l's in life like you learn so much from them it's ridiculous you know what i mean so it's like 
you know, you look back on, on so many things, Gaff, you know, a really bad breakup, a, a time you got fired for being an a-hole, you know, or like there's so many key moments and usually self-destructive L's, you know, unforced errors that you have to endure because you're just an asshole. And, and, <laughs> and you know, you know better, but you don't know better um, that the ripple effect, you know, that's why it's always weird watching, you know, Back to the Future, any of those type of movies that play with the space time continuum and have you yeah. questioning I'm watching a show right now called Ordinary Joe. Uh, it's like a NBC type show, and it's 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 okay. It's pretty good, but it's that same kind of thing where like it shows one guy he made one decision early in his life, and then it shows three different paths of how his life could have been because of that. Um, you know, I, I'd like to believe I don't have, of course, any like major negative that it's like okay, yeah, you know, I wish I didn't do that. But dropping out of college, making that decision was uh, a a decision gaff that really opened up a long road to get to where I am today. A long road. And, you know, I always like to consider my success akin to like a journeyman NBA player, like a John Starks who comes, you know, he went to a major college, but it wasn't a big recruit. And, he, you know, he backdoored pro basketball and he's doing 10 day contracts and he's, you know, playing in other countries you never heard of. And then eventually, dude, he's on the NBA all-star team, you know, and it's like, holy shit, like, he kind of, he always did have what it takes, but he took the long road to get there. And Gaff, you could argue that I'm defined who I am today. My successes, my style, why people love or hate me is defined by my factory town soaked story of like, you know, going down the, the, the I don't want to say the path less traveled, the path more often traveled of just. Yeah, F it, right? <laughs> I'm going to underachieve. I'm going to underachieve for about 10 years, right? Let's just, you know, like, and, and, you know, that's fueled by certain depression and heartbreaks. And you look back on your life a lot differently when you get older. But uh, if I hadn't dropped out of college when I did, and, and at the time, look, I was commuting. So, you know, I wasn't living the dream experience. I was paying my own way through school, which my parents put me in that spot to teach responsibility. And... I'm working multiple jobs. A couple of them are in the sports writing business, which is already what I want to do. And I essentially dropped out of college to then not long after go full time in the writing business. So it, there was a lot of me justifying that decision at the time to do that. But the reality is I, I hit, you know, a rock bottom point in my motivation and gave up. And because of that decision, it, it took a long, long, long road to get here. I could have achieved, in theory, a lot earlier and done this or done that. But, you know, I don't know if I could have, Gaff, because um, it took it took a lot of pain and, and regret and and to come back and, and, and make this run that I'm on now. And, and I'm not trying to overly glorify it, but it, it's like, you know, I know the value of what I have now compared to compared to, you know, other times, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I it, I know the blood that was spilled for this, so I don't think I want to change anything, Gaff, okay? Maybe you can say, BC, your choice not to wear socks in Doc 6 will end up being <laughs> your most regrettable. I mean, do I regret the Risen situation? You're damn right I regret that. Luckily, it didn't, you know, fall into somewhere it didn't need to be, and, and suddenly the show's over, you know? But, uh, yeah, could have crumbled. Um, <laughs> I do think one thing, though, Gaff, tell me if I'm wrong on this. You do look back at like some of your high school relationships and just what a shitty person and boyfriend you were. Like you know, you're just sort of like, oh, man, what an a hole. You know, like those are sometimes <laughs> like the 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 biggest moments of like, man, I I could have been such a nicer person. You know. 
Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly, BC. I definitely feel you on that point. But for me, it was more of a college uh, thing when, when I had to get all those demons out. I was uh, relatively... Uh, I didn't fuck a lot in high school, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, uh, this just got real. Okay, Gaff, yeah. Yeah, I had one girlfriend in high school, so it was, yeah. Gaff, <laughs> what college did you did you rock? Temple University in Philadelphia. Temple University? Yeah. Home of John Chaney. He wants to kill John Calipari. That, that same <laughs> temple, yes. Yeah. Were the a lot, hoops a lot teams... Of big stars went there. I mean, I know. Were the hoops teams any good when you were there? Yeah, we had Deontay Christmas when we were there. He was doing pretty good. We actually lost to ASU, uh, and my friend at the time was going to ASU, so we had like a, a real battle going on. But yeah, yeah big, uh, on, I, big on the basketball scene. I really liked the, uh, the um, Aaron McKee... Eddie Jones team. That was a good ass Temple team in the nineties. Yeah, that was uh, tight. Also, when they had Mark Macon a few years before that, that that was prime John Chaney. That was a good ass <laughs> team. But uh, all right, that's I I learned something every day here, Gaff. I didn't know you went to yeah, Temple. You know? Let's keep it rolling. All right, here is the next question. Which former UFC champion's brother made his debut and only UFC fight at the oddly named UFC thirty seven and a half? Your time starts now. Okay. I thought you were setting me up for uh, Rashad Evans' brother, Lance, who fought on that <laughs> tough season, right? Uh, so the brother made his debut at 37 and a half, and, uh, and that's his only UFC fight. All right. It always surprises me, this question, because sometimes like I'll forget that I knew that one guy had a brother, and then you're like, oh, shit, that, that, that's that guy's brother? And this is certainly that situation. Is it Matt Hughes' brother? Oh no! I thought you were gonna get it right too. You're no, I'm sorry, BC. That is not the answer. Does he even have a brother that fought? Did I just make that up in my own head? There, I'm not. Yeah, I don't think he has a brother. But the answer is Matt Sarah, his brother Nick Sarah. Oh. When you said Matt, I thought you had it. Damn! <laughs> I yeah, I just forgot Matt Sarah had a brother that that ever fought too. It's, it's a great again, a very good question. It's one of those under the radar. They're like, oh, I know, I know, I don't know that shit. Yeah, very very good job. I guess we go back to the personal well here. Yeah. All right, here we go. And the question is, what event in your life has shaped you the most as a person, and how did it do so? Um, I would say, without question, um, okay, outside, the event that shaped me the most was, um, was sort of like, at like age 25, like, had this wild, like, sort of spiritual reawakening sort of like okay stop going down this really dark path in life and oh crap like jesus christ wow like i i've i've experienced love for the first time and that had a profound profound change on on me not ending up like a lot of bad stories in my hometown um but when my kids went through that the craziness of of a year in the hospital and then a second year in and out of the hospital you just never know you know day to day if things are going to turn for the worse and um that uh, that changed me in a million ways right and i think there's some you know negative things that that changed me that i'm still dealing with today even though my kids are thriving and doing great but for my career like that's the turning point like i you know i i had been working at espn before they were born but you know i wasn't really going anywhere i was i was kind of happy to be there i was you know frustrated but i was like I didn't understand. I thought I figured out how to work as hard as you can. I didn't understand that there's like levels to mm -hmm. 
not just hustle, but like hunger, right? There's level, like you can fake hustle, but like there's levels to like passion, hunger. And I never would have been able to get through the years that came after that, when even though I'm working at ESPN and I'm on TV sometimes and I'm doing all these things and recognized as a national voice, I can't, I'm making so little as an editor there that I cannot afford to pay the heat in the winter and I have to like borrow money from my church. Like, you know, I've been eligible for the food pay. Like I, I went through some stuff there that if, if I didn't see my kids like fight for their life with such passion as infants, like just fight to survive, that'll, you know, when you come out of that, you know, relatively unscathed and, and you survive it, um, you can't help but be changed from that. Like uh, suddenly, you know, anything's possible. Like, and, and suddenly like, like, you know, we have no idea what we're capable of mentally, physically, whatever. Like we have no freaking idea. And, uh, you know, just, that enough that 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 change in thinking that change in foundational thinking um opened up the door for me to 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 go for it and make more of myself but again that fuel was needed to get through those moments that a lot of people in this industry get to where it's just sort of like i don't think there's money in this in the end like i don't think all this like i love this so much but like i can't get over you know and uh and you know if it's meant to be and, and and you don't stop you will get over but uh damn dude i couldn't have been, I couldn't have been here you know i'd be, I'd be if that, none of that happened I, I probably would have been happy you know being an editor for as long as they would have me and then maybe one day i get laid off and then i go back and work at a newspaper so i'm like you know like, like i was probably on that road and that's fine or maybe i would have quit it all and sold insurance and again that's fine but dude i i came out of that going these guys are going to go through this just to just to be my son just to live another day what would happen if i stopped stopping myself from going for it you know mm-hmm. what would happen if i got out of the way of myself gaff i think you're seeing it now in documentaries one through six what the hell <laughs> happened all right thank you thank you very much yeah you fought tooth and nail to get here bc and we're all proud of you Thank you. And believe me, I know I'm shaping my own great narrative here, and there's a lot of people watching going, I don't believe that. I bet he's an asshole. Yeah, I'm kind of an asshole, too. But, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah. Everybody's an asshole every once in a while. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> All right, final question, BC. Final question. Here we go. Name the four UFC fighters that are in the 30-20 club, having 30 or more UFC fights, with 20 or more of those being wins? That's a great question. So you need 30 or more fights, 20 or more wins. Okay, Jim Miller. Your time starts now. Yes, that's one. Donald Cowboy Cerrone. That's two. 30 UFC fights or 20 or more wins. RDA. 15. Not on the list. Matt Hughes. Not on the list. Michael Bisping. And I'm sorry, BC. That is the end of your time. Damn. I felt I, I I thought I was just gonna rifle <laughs> them off one after another. Is it a Verdum? Who am I missing here? You're missing both Andrea Arlovsky and Damian Maya. Uh they're not only are they in the category of the names I was trying to pull, they're like the face of that category. I should have I should have <laughs> got No, seriously, like those guys, yeah, yeah, okay, that's a great question. Wow, I'm I'm humbled by how good this trivia is. In fact, you know, I think Mikey was mad at me when I texted him, like, is this trivia going to be worth it? Is it going to be any good, right? Is it going to challenge oh. me? 
And then he was just sort of like, yo, I'll, I'll end you if you really want me to, trivia. Yeah. But shout out to the team for, uh, those were both gettable, yet it hurts that I didn't get them. So that, that's well done, you know? Oh. Kudos to us, thank you. And here's your personal question, BC. Name one thing about Luke that you hate that he's most right about. Well, I thought it was one thing that you really hate about Luke that you don't say a lot, because I have a great list of that. All right, one thing that I hate most about Luke, but he's also right about it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, because, like, in general, what do I hate most? Like, I hate Luke's arrogance and unshakable confidence on certain topics that I'm like, I know you don't know that shit. <laughs> But the thing is, he ends up being right a lot in the end, okay? Like, yeah. I mean, he does. He does. He ends up being a, like the things that he's cautiously fearful of. Like, one thing I really don't like about him is, you know, like when you're at an air, when you're at the airport and it's about to be boarding time, but those that travel know just because it's like about to be boarding time doesn't mean they're calling you anytime soon, right? I mean, like, there's a gap in there and there's a system and, you know, especially if it's, by calling by group number and you know your group number you know exactly how long it's going to take and luke's just like oh no dude we gotta go get get everything we gotta go we gotta it's, it's about that time it's about, it's about that time like and it's just this like military fearful mindset where he's like got to be there at the scheduled time you know what luke is off about that bro okay? <laughs> but not that like the other stuff that he's like life fearful about and cautious in the right ways yeah i, I hate how he like dad he dads me a little Actually, dads me a lot, and uh, it, it's odd that he actually looks like my dad now, in that they kind of remind him of each other. But uh, maybe there's some weird Freudian uh, nonsense in that. But uh, for sure, you know, he's <laughs> his fears tend to be proven true in a lot of ways. So uh, I respect who Luke Thomas is as a man. He's a ridiculous man. Like he's a, con con a walking contrast. You know, a, a con walking contraceptive. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true in some weird way. Um, I mean, he's a weirdo, let's be honest, right? And, and but he thinks he's way above us in, in real life, Gaff. You know what I'm saying? Way above us. Okay? You want to know a fun fact? Yes. He doesn't follow me or Manich. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's never called me by my first name and doesn't know what it is. Because that's normally, you know that funny moment in Doc 5? When I'm like, you know, Luke doesn't even know these guys, Tim's name. And then Luke's like, Tim, Tim, Tim. No, but like, Luke doesn't know these people's names. I'm not kidding. Like, this is like, this is, this is, this is a real thing. He has no care for those around him. But I respect it. You know, he holds, he holds tight to his values and he's not going to let him go See, that's for the anyone. thing. The things that, that I hate about him or that pisses me off the most. Again, he's so cemented down that like this is what i believe and i'm not going to change that it's almost like in a dana white way i have to go okay i respect i, resp I kind of respect the stubbornness and the commitment there all right all right there you go yeah well done uh but no uh luke's gonna hey luke's luke would not only played a huge part you could say gaff and doc six meaning he played his part finally um he seems really happy about the about the comeback here for him so uh what do you expect to see out of him what, what are you hoping to see uh, I'm, 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 I'm looking to see him just get deeper into these segments that we're doing. Like High Court was so much fun. Just shooting that was hilarious. That was so, great. Yeah. Uh, was just great. the ideas that could come out of him from and and you together. Like I know there's some unreleased stuff that I won't mention right now, but we still have on hold and uh, some some content like that. <laughs> some content like that. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I'm always trying to get more Jay Aaron in our docs, but I don't think people want that. I don't, you know, I don't think people want that at the end of the day. You know, I mean, J Jake does such a great job scoring these docs that we don't need Jay Aaron playing, you know, guitar on them at all, probably. Yeah, not at all. Maybe like one vocal at the end, but like, don't give him an instrument. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Luke, um, I mean, he, it's not like he doesn't take L's. I mean, he comically takes L's, but he, he, the things he's really convinced about, well, I mean, I'm not going to talk about his own soul, you know, he's in his health. I mean, he's pretty wrong on a lot of those topics, but you know, whatever. We love Luke. Let's let Gaff. Thank you. You did great. That was uh truth or trivia BC style. So uh, that's either, you know, the future Thanks or the end. Me. Yeah. The future or the end Gaff. The people will have to decide. All right. One more segment for you. A thing that we throw out there to fill time on Wednesdays when BC is alone is uh, BC's top 10 list. And I'm proud about this one thing. And I know, I know this is an MMA dominant audience. I know that for the most part, you guys are like, oh, how do we fast forward through the MMA part? Oh, well, Jake Paul now too? Okay. I get it. You're pro, pro, did they say pro wrestling? I get it. You're here for serious Luke Thomas hot takes. Okay. Um, but I'm proud and, and it coincided perfectly with 2021 being a big year for the sport of boxing. I'm proud at how many people were like, you know, I hate that sport, but you really made me kind of care about this fight coming up. And I tuned in and dude, it was awesome. Like, where do I get more of this drug? You know, and like that, and that's great. And in and, and what usually puts those mini fires out when you have friends, when you're a boxing guy and you're addicted and you're, you have friends that you're just trying to get, oh God, come on, just, just try this is like, even when they taste it and they like it, then next week there's like some horrible decision or the best won't fight the best or, you know, boxing is boxing. And then they're like, oh, I didn't sign up for this bullshit. <laughs> I signed up for that really good fight, you know? And they're like, I could see the best fight the best or face the best in every sport right now. You know, what's wrong with boxing? Well, there's a lot wrong with boxing. There's also a lot that's great about boxing. So I, I'm prideful that some of you on the MMA only side have, have opened your eyes a bit. And a lot of people have said the same thing over DMs of, um, and there's a very self-masturbatory se uh, segment here. Uh, don't, don't overlook that. Uh, as this whole show, has, this episode has been, has, uh, BC, what are, what do I do next? I just loved that title fight you made me watch. And now I kind of want to watch more of like the fights I missed. What are some fights? What are, you know, give me the fights right now that are either considered the best or would be a lot of fun to help me continue figuring out if this is a lane I want to go down. All right. So my top 10 today is easy. Looking back, you know, since 2000, the last 20 ish years, looking back on the last 20 ish years in the modern years, what is a fight list? What are the top 10 boxing fights BC recommends to non-knowing or, or, or half knowing or not even, you know, whatever at all MMA fans to sort of take a bite out of boxing and see if it is for them. Is this my top 10 fights in the last 21 and a half years, well, not 22, not necessarily. It, it, it mirrors that list a lot, but it's just what has been the biggest fights mixed with which ones have just captured, you know, the, the fighter fight of the year type consideration mixed with, you know, getting that flavor, right? Remember that feeling I had in the weird orange pullover at Adesanya Gastelum and, you know, UFC 236 in Atlanta, the, you know, I'm hooked on a feeling. I want you to feel the way that this drug made me feel. Um, you can only have, you can only could have happened in the arena in Atlanta that night. Maybe I should just, maybe I should start a comic con of people that were in the arena that night. And, and we can really just, you know, make out with each other. But um, 
I want I want you to I want you to feel it too. And Bob's gonna see. Sorry, my voice is doing the doing the low, you know, to try to make a dramatic pickup. And if that's picking up in your ear hole while you're running errands, you're not too happy. But um, quick honorable mention because you're gonna look at this list and say, how do you not talk about this? Uh, oh yeah, here it is, Beastie. Top ten. Quick honorable mention, the 2013 Marcos Maidana-Adrian Broner brawl that, that aired on Showtime in one of boxing's best years in recent memory. Don't overlook this one. This was boxing Twitter's biggest win of all time because A.B. Adrian Broner was calling himself the next Floyd and was so flamboyant that people just, they wanted to see him get served. And Marcos Maidana turned out to be the perfect foil in San Antonio and dropped him twice early. And But then Broner didn't go away. And figured out after trying to quit midway through by following that he might be able to dig in and fight. And that was a great forgotten fight. And obviously the Israel Vasquez, Rafael Marquez trilogy, the third one coming in 2008, it could be in the top five of anybody's best list of the last 20 years. Luke and I went deep on these three fights. It's a four fight series, but it's the trilogy first that really matters um, for the morning combat pandemic Showtime classics that I think you can still find on YouTube right now. So, uh, always a great trilogy, brutal as shit, but in some ways it's like, they were almost too perfect for each other. Like there's so little contrast between them, like style wise or anything else that it's like, it's, it's a really great taste, but it's a lot of that taste. And it, it, it's classic though. And if you're talking about sort of off the beaten path fights, 2006 had this French war between Mehar Manchapur and Samsak Chichawal. Yeah, that's a mouthful. It became the fighter of the fight of the year globally, and, and in part because uh, formerly of ESPN, Dan Rayfield really pushed it on a high level to get people to take notice. It's it's just a savage, savage twelve round war. Just two southpaws that in France, and they're just. I mean, it's just it's insane. It's really insane. So check that out. Also, uh, in the top ten BC. Fights I was there list. Forgot about this one. It's got to be mentioned. The first Chocolatito, Sri Saket, Sorong Vasai fight. Madison Square Garden, co-main to Triple G versus Danny Jacobs. Bloody Chocolatito was the pound for pound king coming in in that perfect window. Floyd had gone away. Klitschko had lost. Uh, Andre Ward had just retired. There was an opening there. Chocolatito filled it on the back end of his career. And then this was a, a crazy war. So uh, check that shit out. You know I love Shane Mosley versus Oscar De La Hoya 1 from 2000. One of my favorite fights of all time. High-speed chess at its finest. All right, here we go. Ten fights for an MMA fan to cross over. You must see uh, boxing-wise to get a little taste of what we do here on this side. Number 10, it happened in 2008 in the welterweight division. Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, part one. They were on a collision course to fight each other for a while. And this was really banging the drum to be like, Hard, you know, Cotto's a star, but this is like hardcore fight fans dream at the same time. Margarito from Mexico. And he's just like the, he's the bad guy in the movie. He's just a motherfucker. You know what I mean? And he loves being that guy, but he'll take all the punishment you got. You have no idea how he can make weight in this weight class and just doesn't stop coming. And Cotto's the, the unbeaten star and, and he's, and he's a great boxer, but, you know, going to the body, going to the liver with the left hook. This is like when Cotto used to go after it. And Puerto Rico, Mexico, I mean, it had everything, right? And then the fight was unbelievable. And Cotto dominated the first half, but you're watching, the, it's like you're watching the Titanic slowly sink. You're like, oh, crap, 
Margarito's like, he's still coming. Like, he's still coming. Is he going to break the will eventually? And eventually he does. And it's a great, all-time great fight. But of course, it's stained to a large degree by the fact that Antonio Margarito, you know, not too long after against Shane Mosley in that knockout loss was caught in the locker room beforehand with the plaster of Paris, with the loaded wraps, with the, you know, with the cement in his hands. And then you look back at Margarito's run to that point, you know, the Kermit Cintron fight and the, the, the punishment he took against Paul Williams, which was an amazing war. And you're like, man, you have loaded gloves in those two. And then you're like, oh, the Kodo beating. He, I mean, Kodo's face afterwards is a, it's a, a car wreck. I mean, it's, you know, that, that, that rivalry between them because of this, it fueled so perfectly into that rematch. And it, it was a Kodo win at Madison Square Garden in 2011. I was in the arena. It was incredible. It was just a scene. But, you know, Margarito was a little washy by then. But this fight, if you can understand with the probability of the loaded gloves for Margarito, which, which it does change the way you watch it. It really does. But it's a great fight with a lot of that energy in the building in Las Vegas of like, nation versus nation man versus man you know i mean it's 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 good shit it's good shit all right number nine is a is a classic middleweight championship out that feels like it, it could have come out of the 1940s it happened in 2007 and it's the ghost kelly pavlik in part one of his two fight series against jermaine taylor um taylor was a middleweight champion of the world you know he had fought bernard hopkins twice and and he was really damn good and he was well-rounded and he hadn't yet it hadn't yet fallen apart for him and when it fell apart, it, it was it was crazy. But he was still the guy. And Kelly Pavlik is this white dude with 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 no hairline from Youngstown, PA. And and he's you know, he's M, he's MMA factory town tough. Like he's he's factory, there's no question. I mean, he's hard scrabble as shit and he can punch. But as you're watching him each time he's taking another step up, you're like, okay, it's cool, but like, he's going to get flattened at the highest level. Like, you know, like you have sometimes with the white guy, you have that sort of built in, like, oh, he ain't that good. Right. And, uh, this was the fight that you're probably going to find out that he ain't that good because he came in with so much fanfare and he got to this point and, you know, the fight before for Kelly Pavlik, he was in a, in a war and, and I mean, he, he took away Edison Miranda and, and he near was Kelly Pavlik was nearly the fight of the year during fighter of the year during the stretch. Um, but he, he's in fights, man. He gets hit. I mean, he's fight. He's a fighter. And Taylor gave it to Pavlik early and dropped him. And you're like, Oh, the fight's over. I've seen this. And Steve Smoger had one of the all time great nights as a referee, a fight friendly referee, a fighter action fight friendly. Who's like, go ahead. You know, he lets it keep going. He's in there in the right situations. And Pavlik turns that corner. I believe this was in Atlantic city and the crowd was going apeshit. And when Pavlik rallies to finish him late, it's just one of those like swings and momentum. So perfectly painted that, you know, it's like a, it's like an old time movie. It's like an old classic fight and the roar from the audience and the, Oh God, he is for real. You know what I mean? Like, Holy shit, this kid, it's one of those moments, you know, it catches you off guard. Uh, number eight, you know, one of the all-time great heavyweight slugfests of all time, heavyweight boxing title on the line. And it was this weird fight in 2003 that wasn't supposed to happen. It was Lennox Lewis, the last fight of his pro career. And he was gonna, uh, I got, the, I got dead wrong for this when I referenced this a couple weeks ago. Was it Kevin, not Kevin Johnson, who was the guy he was supposed to be fighting somebody else who you're like, okay, Lennox Lewis is gonna, uh, blow that guy away. Um, 
and then that guy falls out. And Vitaly Klitschko comes in at the last minute. And this is before Vitaly Klitschko had permanently cemented his Hall of Fame all-time great resume. And he had been a champion before, and had, but that loss he had to Chris Bird when people thought he quit because of an injury to his shoulder. And people were like, oh, he's, you know, when it going gets tough against a non-puncher, but a great fighter in Chris Bird, but a non-puncher, you're going to quit. By the way, they would find out in the medical exam, like years later when it went public, that like he was that close to his like shoulder permanently falling off and, and having to like probably be amputated. Like he was like, it was one of the most disastrous physical injuries inside the ring. And so Vitaly Klitschko had like something to prove. Only he's like crazy mayor of uh, Kiev, like he is today saying, I'll go to the front lines of the roar against the Russians if I have to. Like he went after Lennox Lewis. And it was like a Lennox Lewis who was like, the, the tail end of Lennox Lewis's career, there was always that little fear. Or te- Lennox Lewis's chin, by the way. Got knocked out twice, but came back to to knock out in the rematch both of those guys, and those are the only two he ever lost to. So Lance Lewis is one of those rare all-time great fighters that says, I beat everybody I stepped into the ring with. But because he had been stopped twice, there was always a little bit of fear that, like, okay, maybe that chin isn't isn't great and you can get to it. We've seen it twice. And there was also that fear that, like, the tail end of his career is he trying his hard. He had filmed that Ocean's Eleven movie or whatever, and and didn't wasn't fully trained coming into the uh, Hasim Rahman first fight, and he got stopped in South Africa, and it was you know this wild upset, and he got him back, and he got him back. By the way, if you haven't seen Lennox Lewis's knockout of Hasim Rahman in the rematch, he got him back in like the most vicious fuck you way ever. I mean that's just not like laid him out. But there was like that fear of like, well, what if he doesn't show up tonight, and like fully, what if he's not motivated, dude? Klitschko wanted to prove that he was like the most grimiest assassin of all time. And he put on a pace on Lennox Lewis in the first half of this fight. I think it only went six rounds in the end. He put a pace on Lennox Lewis. That was like, I'm going to find out right now if I could be the heavyweight champion. And you're all going to find out that my balls are made of brass and I would never quit in a fight. And I'm going to show you who I am right now. And you could tell Lennox, like, you know, it was like, Oh, nobody told me this wasn't an exhibition. I mean, he had that like, Oh shit, I got to fight my way out of this. Now to Lennox's credit, fought his way out of it the best he could. Now, like there's times you can watch that fight and almost support Larry Merchant's sort of like jabs. He was throwing at Lennox in the post-fight interview of like, Hey, you're kind of lucky the fight got stopped. Right. And then, but then there's also times you can go back and go, nah, dude, Lennox adjusted and put it on this guy. Either way, Lennox put it on this guy so much that Vitaly's face was falling off. It was falling off. I mean, it was just disgusting. And they, they stop it and he goes nuts and he's all pissed off. But the pace of that war for two, not only elite heavyweights, you know, Hall of Fame, like almost like almost top 10 heavyweight. I mean, Vitaly's probably not top 10, but like he's right there, right? I mean, th- these are to just go at it at this. I mean, it's a, it's a sick fight. And you wanted a rematch and Lennox Lewis waited a year and then retired. And I, you know, I don't <laughs> never ended up getting the rematch or, you know, Lennox never fought um, Vlad Klitschko, his brother, uh, except for in that Ocean's Eleven thing that they filmed. Um, yeah, it's it, we we called it the last great heavyweight fight for a long time until really we finally got AJ Anthony Joshua against Klitschko in 2017, and and then since then we've had Wilder Fury three, but uh, classic. Uh, number seven is it's just it's just a joy to watch this slugfest 2000, um, junior middleweight unification, Felix Trinidad unbeaten from Puerto Rico against unbeaten. Fernando Vargas 
representing Mexico and just a young, brash, badass in Vargas who just is like, you know, I'm 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 coming on. Like, I mean, he's fucking coming on, bro. He's coming on every second of his career for the most part, but especially before that first loss. And the fight was so huge. I mean, it was a monster pay-per-view for non-heavyweights. And it right off the start just delivered and they both get knocked down. And, you know, Vargas, as he also did in his knockout loss to Oscar De La Hoya a few years later, um, you know, when he would lose at the highest level, he'd lose spectacularly. You know, he'd have his moments, but he would he, um he he took a beating to end this fight. And it's a war and it's crazy. It's got one of the best intros ever when uh Vargas is dressed like an Aztec warrior and there's this fake mountain of like boxes and he's you know, like a temple and he just kicks it over. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's wacky and it's awesome. And the, and it's Trinidad surviving the storm and showing exactly who, who the hell he is. And you can always look back on Fernando Vargas who ended up having a, you know, a very great career, but you're like, man, was it too much too soon? Could he have been, could he have sustained it better and been better, you know, uh, taking his foot off the gas just a little, either way, he made amazing, great fights. Number six on this list of, you know, MMA fans guide to, to which boxing fights they should watch. You talk about a great trilogy in the, the two, middle 2000s. It's Manny Pacquiao versus Eric Morales, but it's the first chapter of that. Um, I got serious, serious back into boxing in 2004. I had still been watching the big fights, but I had taken a few years off of, of, of hardcore level for sure. And... I mean, the NBA is on fire, you know, of course, in the late nineties, before that, we all had a run in pro wrestling, you know, everybody did it in, in, but I came back because I started sparring in late 2004 and, you know, you get, get knocked around and, 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 you know, re and learning the, the craft of it for the first time. And my hunger for rewatching old fights just became out of this world. I mean, that was, that's the pre YouTube last chance for if you can convert all these to VHS and sell them online, you can make good money. And there are people charging a lot of money for these fights. And I'm just buying people's whole career collections. And then I'm like, okay, I'm getting so hardcore into this. What's the next big fight? Cause I got to get myself fired up. And I remember talking to this uh, tape collector guy in Mexico, in uh, California, I'm sorry, up a Mexican guy. And, and he was a huge Eric Morales fan. And he's like, dude, Eric Morales is fighting Manny Pacquiao at 130 pounds. Pacquiao's moving up in weight. It's like, this is the fight. This is the one. This is the one that we're all been waiting for. All the hardcore fans. Like, this is the fight. And, you know, Pacquiao had blown away Marco Antonio Barrera in, in uh, San Antonio and been like, you know, tell me how my ass tastes, basically, to the boxing world. We're like, oh, my God. You know, he's moving up in weight. And, you know, Morales had been through the trilogy with Marco Antonio Barrera, and he had lost the last two fights in that trilogy. And, and it, he wasn't washed, but you're still like... Is he going to be set up to be blown away by this hurricane forced win that is Manny Pacquiao in the small weight classes? And this is just prime Pacquiao finally figuring out what to do with his right hand. Remember, the, you know, for a while it was he's got this right hook. It's a secret. It's called Manila Ice. And and it took him a while to become a two handed fighter. But this is when he's putting it together. And this is 12 of my favorite rounds in boxing history. Eric Morales gets a close decision win in the end because he caught Pacquiao and Pacquiao in his early half of his career did, didn't like that. He's, he did. He was a different fighter when he was cut and hurt. And this is like the perfect setup for Eric Morales, who I, who I think is the all is the, he's my favorite badass in boxing history. 
I mean, he's my campion. That's why anyone who used to listen to my boxing podcast on CBS Sports knows how I would campion my heroes in Las Vegas when I'm drunk and off the clock at, at big time fights with my, you know, uh, media friends. And it's just like, oh, I love that guy. I, let's go up to him. Let's accost him. Let's tell him that, you know, he had no business getting up from from that. You know, I'd be like, you had no business fighting Maidana with your eye closed. You know, what the wavos you got, it's just, it's humbling, you know, and I've done that to a few of my heroes, you know, uh, Castle Casamayor, Joel Casamayor did that to him too. Uh, I've can't be owned a few of them. There's a reason why, because Eric Morales is a badass. And when you hit him, he's the best I've ever seen at the elite level of boxing or MMA, where he gets so hurt and offended, and you can see the emotion in his face that you landed such a big shot that he's like, oh no. I'm and he comes just like drops everything and comes back and just instantly lands big shots in return. And there's a sequence in this first round, Pacquiao against Morales. That's just beautiful to watch of exactly that happening. A great fight, but this fight, what makes this all-time great? And what makes the, hey, Morales is a badass thing real? Why you would want to drunkenly accost him in public to celebrate the size of this man's wavos? Is in the 12th round, Morales turns southpaw for no other reason than because he's a badass and went to war with Pacquiao, standing both in the center of the ring and not moving and just throwing bombs. And Morales got lit up. Like, he got lit up. And you're like, oh, my God, he's going to get knocked out. And he survived it and, and fired back, too, and and get, gets the close decision win. And you're just like, oh, my God, this guy's such a badass. And then in the, after, in the interview afterwards with Larry Merchant, through the translator, he's like, you know, did you like that? <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah larry you know because this is what i do you know what i mean um he would go on to the, the trilogy's great to rewatch the second fight was a it's it was on the way to being a classic win and then the third fight is most known for the fact that morales got steamrolled and he kind of had a no mas moment he got dropped for like the third time and he sat up against the ropes and he's just like the referee was like you getting up and he's just like no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's like it's like I'm I'm too smart to take this beating moving forward. This guy's got my number. But the first fight, Morales taking a stand. We should get some beers together and watch that together. I mean, that'd be great. Uh, number five on this list. Could you could you not go wrong in the Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, all Mexican, all man rivalry in the lower weight classes? Uh, the first one in 2000 is my favorite. And, and the, so just so people know, uh, the rematch was. Great trilogies often do have like a stinker in, of one of the three where it's just not a great fighter, not action. The second one is this. It was very boxing. And, you know, Barrera made the adjustments and it was very boxing heavy. The third one in 2004 is just, hey, we might as well meet a third time and just brawl. And it was great. But the purity of this first one, I mean, these guys like had brawled at press conferences before the fight. Like these guys hated each other. And it's like the badass like villain at the end of the movie, Morales, just putting his, you know, testosterone up there. And Barrera's like, they call him the babyface assassin, but he's he's the guy who like, he'll, he can brawl with you, but he, he kind of wants to be a boxer and he should be a boxer. It's smarter for him. And the reason why this, this matchup between these two was so great is Morales would lure him into a war. And sometimes Barrera would lure Morales into a war to try to counter him. And and they're just, they would have, it's, it's akin to listening to either jazz or like, you know, jam band rock and roll, which of course is, you know, influenced in a lot of ways by the free form improvisation of, of jazz. But in those great jams, you know, whether you listen to fish in, in the dead or, or, or you're listening to, you know, Miles Davis. And by the way, Oh God, on the corner by Miles Davis, 
I don't talk a lot about Miles Davis because I'm trying to do it right. I'm trying to take my time. I'm trying to really, really, you know, I want to speak out of turn. And, you know, I'm really, when, you know, if you're coming on, I'm, I'm coming on, Miles. Um, damn, that 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 blend of of funk and rock fusion is insane. But there's moments in those jams, obviously, where, you, you know, Fish does a great job of peeking, you know, Almond Brothers as well, where they just, they're out of control. They're just, just it's beautiful. It's another world level. Morales and Barrera would have those same sequences of just fury, just fury, and it's just a sight to behold, and it's beautiful. And the spite they had for each other in the ring, it's it was like that special sauce on top. So the first one's from two thousand. You you'll love it. You'll love boxing. You'll love Mexico. You'll love everything about it. Uh, number four is the greatest example of a Rocky movie fight actually playing out at the highest level at somewhat highest level. And, um, I cannot believe if you haven't seen Timothy Bradley jr. Versus Rusan Provodnikov from 2013, I mean, really drop everything and just go find that, find the footage because it, it was supposed to be Tim Bradley, the great champion and, you know, trilogy with Manny Pacquiao. And, and it, it was supposed to be him like blowing away this, contender but like attraction in Ruslan Plavaga he's a brawler he comes head on but Bradley's gonna blow him away and Bradley had so much motivation to like say F you to boxing because he goes in there and fights Manny Pacquiao in the first fight and he fights through two serious injuries like you know ankle and his leg and he wins this very controversial decision and you know he didn't score it that way the judges did right but he fought his ass off so of course he's like well man you know no i i you know i'm not gonna apologize for getting the win here and the the boxing public just like villainized him and he took that shit to heart <laughs> and he was of a mindset that like he told his dad his trainer who's a trip if you ever watched the uh you know the pre-fight documentary stuff it's just a i mean his dad just questions his son's manhood constantly and he's like well what's that what's that smell is that pussy and you know just us you know just ridiculous things um you know he told his dad before i'm gonna kill this kid meaning ruslan provodnikov you know i'm gonna shut everybody up those are the best ever setups for like great fights for somebody in the nba scoring you know 50 in like an fu game um but unboxing is pretty damn violent when it's fueled by that kind of spite. And Bradley just went in there and was like, you know, I'm just going to blow this guy away. And that's what Ruslan Provodnikov welcomes. That's the spider web, but there's no like tricks. He's not like, he's just sitting here saying, dude, come and get it. Like, I'm going to go life or death with you. And these two went life or death with each other. And Bradley got knocked the hell around and kept getting back up and, you know, there's some rounds that he's actually boxing from distance, which is what he's supposed to do. And then the next round just gets monstrously concussed again. And he's fighting when he should be holding. And it's just a example of, I don't even want to say the human spirit. Like Juliana Pena upsetting Amanda Nunes is like the human spirit coming through. I mean, this is just like the human will. This is just two stubborn people just saying that. Like in Provodnikov's face is a mess. But he's still coming on. And there's questionable scoring on the ruling of a knockdown. And Bradley ends up winning a very close decision. A lot of people saw it the other way. And Bradley, to his credit, would springboard from this fight. Go fight Juan Manuel Marquez on pay-per-view. Right after Marquez knocked Pacquiao out cold. And, like, 
outbox him in a thriller, uh, just a great tactical, technical fight. Um, but he, he, some people think he got a gift here. And I think I scored a draw and I didn't hate the judges giving it to Bradley. Although, you know, the scores were a little, little funky in some ways, but, uh, the the punishment Bradley took. I mean, he got like he was effed up after this fight physically, you know, like deep concussions and in, in you know, like long. I remember he was he did an interview with Max Kellerman on like L.A. ESPN radio after that fight. And he was like telling Max, he's like, you know, I told my dad this is your fault. You created this killer with no off switch. This is your fault. And he's like, you know, I was in like dark, dark places, you know, physically and mentally after that that fight and uh just a psycho this guy's just a psychopath that's why i love timothy bradley jr so much by the way he's a great commentator and he's a great guy to interview always has been always been an all interview team because he just tells the truth with passion but uh you talk about the human will and the human sp i mean this guy like the, he had to go to a it wasn't just hell right it was like okay i'm in hell i gotta see the back room you know let's see the pipes of this place uh unbelievable i'm humbled even telling you about this fight if there's anyone still watching right now i'm humbled to tell you how great that fight is number three on this list is uh you know it it, it might be the greatest like sometimes you know usually in boxing like some fights are meant to be great fights but it's like action fighter versus action fighter what we love the best is when a great fight between pound for pound grades and all-time greats in this case turns into that great all-time action fight in like Turning into that is a great ending, right? We love it when they turn into action fights, but sometimes it's got to be technical and tactical for a while. No, this was Manny Pacquiao versus Juan Manuel Marquez part four. And this turned out to be one of the greatest fights in boxing. One of my favorite fights, one of the most emotional fights. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. They're, they're both still, they're old. And this is the fourth time they're fighting. And let's not forget, there was customer fatigue, like a lot of it, of people saying... I don't need to see this matchup again. I saw the first three, and most people thought Marquez got a raw deal on most of the scorecards. Marquez never thought he lost any of the four, by the way. He's probably never thought he lost a fight in his life. Um, he's, you know, notoriously stubborn in that regard. But the, the these guys were at the end of their careers, but Marquez was going through his, is he on roids or is he just drinking jet fuel period where he bulked up to welterweight and is just suddenly this force and he's old too, but yet they're still like two and three in the pound for pound top 10. And they're both future hall of famers. And this is their fourth meeting, but we all kind of came in there going, okay, it'll be fun. Right. The third one was like a thriller when Manny made that comeback to force, you know, the close scorecards. And you know, the first two were just incredible for so many great dramatic reasons. I thought the fourth one was going to kind of stink, but just be fun. Cause it's them and they're old. I didn't expect like a, blood and guts almost Barrero Morales fuck you type pace to this fight of just like I hate you I'm coming after you and this is like street fight rules right this is like Rocky 5 when Rocky took Tommy more Tommy Gunn to, to the to the to the alley you know you oh you push around Pauly won't you try knocking me down as my dad would say endlessly after that after we saw Rocky 5 that that shitter in the theater um this 
was incredible. Pacquiao gets straight up dropped early. And you're like, oh, and he got the, he, it was a looping right hand and Pacquiao went down hard. And you're like, oh shit, I don't think I've ever seen Pacquiao knocked down before, actually. And you know what? Pacquiao's such, he's, he, he's such a force. I don't really think I've ever seen him like crazy hurt. Like I saw him bleeding against Morales. I saw him in, you know, certain shootouts against Marquez, but like never hurt like that. And they, and you had Marcus just fighting like, like you stole everything I worked for in my life. And I am here at the end of this action movie to gain my revenge because, you know, Mark, it was the all time greatest revenge when Marquez legitimately feels like he was screwed on the scorecards against the more marketable fighter at every fight, every single fight, including the first one when he got knocked down three times in the first round and yet still forced a draw because he came back and he's like just the demeanor of I'm going to kill you. But then Pacquiao puts it on him in this rally. And it's like old Pacquiao again. It's like the, the Pacquiao who used to womanize and gamble and like that Pacquiao, the no fear, like trunks, uh, dyed hair with the blonde bristles, that Manny Pacquiao, you know, that guy, he was back that night. And that's what led to him getting knocked the hell out in the most vicious manner ever. But how sweet is this for Marquez? Who's basically like, I'm going to take out all my anger of how my career went on you right now. And he is almost stopped the round before the knockout happens. His nose is, is a broken bloody mess and he's getting battered and he's walking through him, but he's getting, there's a price he's paying for it. You know, and then he uncorks the, the deadliest counter shot of all time with that right hand that flatlines Manny Pacquiao to a level that it is not hyperbole. And I'm doing, I think I, I was doing a live blog on ESPN.com at the time doing like constant play-by-play -play typing it. Um, and so I'm watching this and I'm in this fight, right? And I'm, and I'm going, I'm texting everybody in between going, how sick is this fight? There's a war. And then it's over. And it's over in the most thuddingly violent, emphatic way ever that for the 55 seconds that Manny Pacquiao was down out cold and not moving before they revived him. During that 55 seconds, they're showing his wife screaming, crying, climbing up the apron. They're showing Bob Arum trying to comfort her, but looking in his face like, like his son was just murdered or something. You know, the, they massacred my boy. I mean, like he had that face. And you thought Manny Pacquiao was dead. No one talks about that enough. Like, you know, you know, no, you, you're like, no, he's, he's dead. Like, that's the most, I mean, for that to happen in the in the fourth, you know, that's the greatest rivalry of the modern era, without question. And it was already going to be one of the best, but to have that <laughs> as your send off, and and morale, and sorry, Marquez, you know, blood everywhere, jump up on the corner turnbuckles, and the Mexican fans going sick in Las Vegas. You know, I I remember um, doing that live blog, and Karen Mulvaney, who's co-host of the Showtime Boxing. Uh, podcast right now with Eric Raskin and, and I love Karen. I've been up and down the road with him forever. Been his editor a lot of times, all that stuff. He was ringside. And when Pacquiao's down for 55 seconds, when you're doing a live blog like I was for ESPN, you got to constantly pump that thing with what you're seeing and everything. I mean, you're, you're, you're telling the story for those that didn't buy it, right? I didn't type anything for like a 90 seconds, two minutes, because my jaw was like down to here. But as soon as I wrapped up what I was doing and, you know, put up the story that, that or just whatever I had to do as an editor, um, I text Mulvaney and I, and I think he texted me and he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just witnessed that. And I text and, and I was just like, 
I think I was like, tell me what it felt like. Tell me what it smelled like. Like, tell me what it tasted like. Like, you just experienced, like, you were in the movie, you know? And he goes, hey, do you mind if I call you right now? And, like, I'm in the first floor of the house. I'm renting. My kids are small and upstairs sleeping. My wife's sleeping. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, dude, call me right now. And we proceeded, like, giddy schoolgirls to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just watched that. Oh, my God. And, and I'm sure I just screamed in the microphone and woke a lot of you up. But, like, that's as amazing as this sport can get when it's got the storyline, you know, the fourth fight of the rivalry and they hate the shit out of each other. And, and the guy that got screwed throughout is able to land the final blow and just be like, yeah. And, you know, and there's questions if he's on the stuff and, and, uh, I can't believe Pacquiao rebounded from that and was, you know, still the fighter that he was the rest of his career and might still be, I do think he's coming back by the way I do. Um, but you know, not 80% of fighters who would take that kind of knockout loss at that age that Pacquiao did, they may never, they're not fighting again. Like that's the end of your career. That's the end of, that's the extinguishing of all that invincibility that allows you to believe you can do this at this level, you know? And, and I mean, it was, it was out. And credit to Pacquiao in the post-fight interviews after they rewoke him and he's calming down his family. But like, Damn, damn, that, that there's, there's no, you can't like you, I don't feel that watching the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And I've, I've been a, I, I've been a monstrous sports fan my whole life in every sport. And, you know, and I've worked the front page of ESPN.com and, you know, where you're, you got to know everything and every, I mean, I've, I've lived this and, you know, I've been a part of some great moments watching as a fan, like you have, you know, like Landon Donovan scoring that goal in the world cup. And like, you know, that kind of like, I've seen some fun ass stuff, you know? NBA moments that are just Shakespearean. Nothing ever made me feel like Pacquiao Marcus four and like the forget one hour afterwards, like the next day. Like that's just like that's real life. I mean, that is wow. I hope I mean hope I hope you feel like that after watching the MK documentaries. I doubt it. I hope that's my you know, that's my working plan and my goal. All right. Um number one and two are you, you pick your 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 flavor, whichever one you like better. One's definitely better than two in terms of better fight. But these are the two defining, not defining rivalries, although Mickey Ward versus Arturo Gatti was a great rivalry and, and is one of the best rivalries. But these two were like, I mean, these are fights that brought people back as boxing fans again, these two. These are fights that in some ways, like how does it, like I say this sometimes, I say this once in a while, like I don't know any real boxing fans in my day-to-day -day life for the most part, a couple of dads around town that know a little bit and we have some nice talks and all that and that's fun and I treasure that. But like, you know, I'm talking to my brethren in this game, the other journalists, you know, the Rafe Bartholomews or the, you know, great fans that I've come to meet and even getting like DM or text relationships with because you're just super fight fans, right? And um, these are like, these are the type of fights that build the resolve in you as an addicted super fan to put up with all the ridiculousness that this sport makes you financially, uh, in terms of your patience, in terms of, you know, everything. It's fights like these two, one and two, that, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's the Hagler, they're Hagler, what is Hagler Hearns to a generation of people? You know, everything, rightfully so. You know, it almost defines the, the reason why you watch and the feeling that it gives you. 
And number two, it's my favorite fight of all time. It's the first Mickey Ward Arturo Gotti fight, 2002. Their trilogy is insane. Shout out to HBO. Their their documentary about that trilogy is also very well done. Um, but they're like they're paired together as sort of two journeyman action fighters on the way out who, hey, wouldn't it be great if these two ever fought? So, hey, let's just do it now, and they'll both get a good payday out of it. And yeah, and obviously Gotti had a brighter ceiling at that time and was still, you know, and largely in title contention. Gotti would have, Arturo Gotti was, um, I mean, he lived, like, talk about living your life quarter mile at a time, like Fast and Furious, like that was his life, dude. I mean, I actually just recently talked to somebody who had, who had partied with him, and uh, it was an MK fan, and I was talking to who, 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 had, was in that close to that circle at one time, and he's like, "Dude, nobody went harder than Arturo. Like, it's not even like nobody went that hard. You know what I mean? And I mean, look, he lived fast, he died hard, and it's how he died is just you know, it's it's unsolved to say the least, and still just ridiculously sad. But he had a brighter ceiling to still be a title contender, but he would have so many highs and lows and dips and partying too much and injuries. Like he would he would crash and burn a lot in his career, where you'd stop taking him seriously as a like legitimate fighter like title contending one and just attraction, a guy who had authored some of the most absurd come from behind all action, blood and guts wins in this history to the point where like Arturo Gotti became one of those weird, rare franchises where he had his own fans and they followed him wherever. And when he, you know, they rightfully would gave him a home there at boardwalk hall in Atlantic city. And it was like a rock concert when he fought, and, you know, and coming out to thunderstruck by, you know, ACDC is just like, you know, it's just a, it's the chef's kiss. It's perfect. And, you know, he, he lived up to that reputation time and again. But he's fighting old-ass Mickey Ward here who, you know, like tried his best to become a real title contender but never quite got there. Like, you know, had some bit, the Shane Neri win, I love it. They built a, the, the Mark Wahlberg movie, The Fighter, was really built around the the run Mickey had against all odds to even get in that Shane Neri fight, which was for like a IBU title. Like one of those not real titles, but like whatever. Um, but Mickey had been the all action B side guy, you know, and, and, and he'd had great come from behind wins, but, and he's had great action fights. God, the Emmanuel Augustus fight, Emmanuel Burton Augustus. God, that's a great fight. Um, but when you put these two together <laughs> and said, use, you know, use your powers, you know, like you've met your equal. That's what they both said. I want to meet my equal ahead of this fight. You know, they, they met their equal. There's a reason why these guys became brothers after this trilogy to the point where Ward was started training Gotti for those last couple of fights of his career. Um, it's, it's almost spiritual, this fight. It's weird to say that, but like in it, it the reason why I put Corrales Castillo ahead of it is because, uh, and you have to put it historically too. This fight wasn't for a title. It was just for like, you know, action fighter payday, but it took a while to kind of get serious, you know, took a couple rounds feeling you out. But when it turned, I mean, it's got it's got the round is it round nine my favorite round in boxing history. I mean, it's got one of the most insane rounds of all time. Really, the most insane like couple round package of like seven, eight, nine, ten in a row. Um, it's you know I could sit here for an hour and tell you how why that fight is so great, but I think ultimately the reason why it's it it clings to people certain boxing fans' hearts more than Corrales Castillo is the human emotion. That was shown by both in it in in overcoming so much. And the same thing happened in Kraus Castillo, no question. But like Gotti making that like grimace when he got dropped by that body shot and 
He had no freaking business getting up from that body shot. Mickey Ward knocked out so many. Mickey Ward had that out pitch. He had the you know fork ball that no the cutter. Say it, Mariano, the cutter. He had the damn cutter that you couldn't hit, and you know you couldn't stop. He'll find a way to get that left hook to your liver, and he'll stop you. And he hit Arturo Gotti with one of those, and Gotti's like trying like hell to be like, nope, I'm 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 the biggest badass you ever met, man. I fight through this shit, and he's like, and it's not letting him, and he finally gets to his feet and. You know, the beating he takes after that, like, thank God Frank Cappuccino was so stubborn and old as a legendary referee at that point that he's just like, you know, because Jim Lampley, the famous, you know, announcer was yelling into the mic, you know, you got to stop this fight, Frank, you know, stop this fight. You can stop at any time. And, uh, you know, seeing him overcome that and then flip it back on Mickey Ward. And that's the same thing of what made the first Riddick Bowie Vander Holyfield fight so great in that incredible round 10 is because it had that same thing where somebody's on the verge of this dominant stoppage and then it turns in a Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin type way. And it turns fast and quick. And um, the back and forth of the final two and a half rounds here is just savage. And you know, their whole trilogy was the second one's the stinker of the three. I have a soft spot for it. The third round is is among the best rounds of the rivalry between these two, but it was one-sided. Gotti boxed like he always should against this guy. Uh, the third one's wild, man. You know, Gotti uh, building a big league, but then hurting his hand, and he can't throw his right hand suddenly, and then he gets dropped, and and that's a wild-ass fight. Uh, Gotti wins it, and he was the fresher fighter, but they put, their, they put themselves through, like, life-altering hell with these 30 rounds, and the first one is just an emotional journey that, you know, you're not going to find, forget sports, you're going to find it in life. Really, it's just, it's, it's an incredible ride to get there. Uh, the final one, number one, you know, it's not out of line to call this the greatest fight in boxing history. And the, like the old, like the real old timers really tried to like not do that after it happened and be like, okay, it's among that. It's all time great, but like, hold on. Let's, I mean, is it really the best of all time? It might be the best of all. It's the best of this era, like with a bullet and it's 2005. It's at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And it's a lightweight title unification, Diego Corrales against Jorge Luis Castillo. Um, there's not enough amazing things. And it was just, re you know, what was it? Two years ago was the anniversary of this fight. What was it? 15-year uh, anniversary, I'm, I'm guessing, 2005 to 2020. And, you know, we did a bunch of morning combat was around. We did a few fun interviews online. I think I interviewed uh, the referee, Tony Weeks. I interviewed Joe Goosen, who was famously in, with the with the awesome dress shirt, like he's going out to rock the clubs in the corner of Diego Corrales, you know, and he delivered one of the all-time greatest lines by a trainer ever of better fucking get inside on him now, like, like a disappointed dad, which fueled, you know, one of the, maybe the greatest comeback in a boxing match of all time when, when Diego Corrales turned the table. But um, I got a chance to talk to those guys about it. And I wrote a oral history that if you got time, search uh, CBS sports from a couple of years ago, the oral history of Corrales Castillo one talked to a lot of people who were there and uh man that's a why couldn't i have seen the future and got a flight to go to that fight so there was only like four thousand people in the crowd for that fight and it was on showtime but it was expected by everybody to be like i talked about like when ward and Gotti got together you're like okay this is an important fight title unification but like the way these guys are wired and the way that they're giving interviews, like they're going to, they're willing to die. And they're like, they're, they're good. They are ready for the war of their lifetime. And it absolutely turned into that and more. And unlike Gotti Ward, which had a couple, you know, slow rounds to set things up. This off the start is just electric. And it's just both 
standing in the center of the ring and, and it's not the, what makes it great is it's not sloppy it's not just some sloppy brawl people try to say you know mickey ward arturo got it was just a sloppy brawl there's a lot of slop there's a lot of great sloppiness in there it was also you know they, they could box too but this one corrales castillo is is really at a higher level they are at, both executing their offensive plan almost to perfection against one another they're making defensive counters and adjustments so it's not sloppy and out of control but they're having great success with with what they're trying to do when they sort of take turns taking the lead and the brutality of the body shots and the damage that they're accepting that they're willingly accepting to take to not give up that real estate you know like like I love football I play the I play one year of organized football and I'm glad I did it you know cuz I was I was not I was not tough enough to be like a you know high school football player looking back uh but playing one you know getting knocked around playing one one year you, know, you have a certain respect for it, certainly that you wouldn't have had. And but we all watch football in different ways, betting perspective, fantasy, or just love our favorite team so much. And and um, you, but like you talk to the hardcores, the coaches, the high school coaches. I used to interview a million high school coaches, and they just love the battle that ha happens at that line of scrimmage. And I, there's one coach I used to always interview. He's a elite high school coach, had a great program, but he's the worst interview because every single time he would say. You know, what's what's I asked him what the key to the game coming up is, you know, wh whoever blocks and tackles better at the line. It's going to be our five against theirs and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and the, the ones that get it, the ones that lived it, know that football to them feels like a, you know, an alternate reality of war and, you know, the line and setting up. And in, in theory, in a running based attack, yes, of course. These guys, Corrales and Castillo, we're trying, we're, we're, we're concocting that same battle in such a tiny little phone booth. And we're just not willing to get off that line and take a back step. And the fact that it never sort of like turned into a wild brawl and stayed a very high level action fight kind of filled in any gap. It, it would have had an argument of not being this great. It was perfect. It had the perfect ending it had the perfect characters It had Castillo just not just being a badass. And there was waves of momentum. And at the end of the first round, Al Bernstein at Showtime is just like, this is like an all-time great fight, like already. Like this is just ridiculous. There's so many great calls that he and Steve Albert had during that fight, and uh, just Corrales' comeback is just you rewatch it. Like I, I'm a Mets fan. I'm not a hardcore baseball fan anymore, uh, but you know I was in the '90s, 2000s, the '80s, of course. Um, but you know, there's a there's a thing that if I see a video of like, you know, the Buckner play and. Ray Knight rounding third and the Mets win it. You know, you almost get emotional. You know, it's like, that's my team. That's my team. I remember that. And um, it's like that watching Diego Corrales' comeback here. Even if you have no connection to Diego Corrales at all. Like, it's just, it's, it's what's possible when you don't give up. Right? And it, it, it's, I mean, he spit out the mouthpiece to lose the point, but by time, how ingenious in that moment something he had just learned the fight before, or, you know, a couple fights before against, uh, against Popo Freitas, Asselino Freitas, when he, when he went in there and won that title to really kind of set up the need for this fight. And it's Joe Goosen yelling at him, wearing that shirt. And it's the moment of like, oh my God, he came back from being down 35 to nothing at the start of the fourth quarter. Like he actually did this. Damn. Those are the 10 fights that move me, that I think will move you too. Enjoy. All right, I guess we've hit the two-hour mark. You know, I've really just been talking to this. I've just been making love to this camera, right?
All right. You, by the way, the, maybe the greatest uh, line of all time. I forgot what fight it was. Maybe ahead of the Miguel Cotto fight, but Paulie Malinaji saying, uh, former Showtime uh, broadcaster saying, pressure. I make love to pressure. It's <laughs> 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 aggressive. It's aggressive, Paulie, but uh, I, I do like that spirit. You know, like like I go after it, you know. Give me a two-hour show. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it, all right? Uh, I don't know how many of you hung around. Thank you, though. Uh, Morningcombat.store is our fine merch house. Do not forget that 15% on hoodies, that includes drug rugs, it's continuing. We got a new, new, new shipment of drug rugs coming in after selling out again, but uh, hoodie15 is our promo code, H-O-O-D-I-E-1-5. Uh, we got great stuff on there, so check out that merch house site. Go to Showtime.com, get your 30 days free today. Because you got to see what's going on in Bellator, Championship Boxing, BC on Showbox. Uh, come on, Al Pacino's uh, Neo Noir classic run is largely on there as well. So Showtime.com, get your 30 days at the end of it. You have to make an important decision about your future. One option is to pound the sand, but you know I think I know what you're going to do. You're going to like the way it feels on you. Um, I guarantee it. Uh, I think that's it, though. Like, subscribe, social, handle, all that good stuff. Uh, Friday... You get your wish. Luke Thomas is back in the building as Morning Combat sets the stage for the weekend. We'll talk about Luke's getaway, his revived soul, his mojo running again. Um, for all you BC hardcores out there, the few of you uh, that have enjoyed this run, thank you. Thank you for being, uh, you know, my passenger here. I've enjoyed it as well. But, you know, you know, MK ain't MK. Chuck, Chuck does a really great job, right? But MK and NK, unless it's BC and LT. So let's get the peanut butter back with the jelly. Thank you, folks, for sticking with us. Gaff Pierre, my friend, thank you for hosting Truth or Trivia and holding it down there. Uh, great people that watch the show. We love you. Thank you uh, for voting us in on podcast awards for, you know, telling others that there's a, you know, that, that, that yes, you are down with the sickness, right? You know, there's another strain out there that you can't get enough of. Um, I'll be your, I'll be your virus. All right. Wuhan. I'll, I'll get you all real check, real sick. All right. I'll keep you all in check. Um, did that go somewhere? It shouldn't have. I don't know. Anyway, um, for the great staff of Showtime, CBS sports and Malka and for Luke Thomas, who returns shortly, safe travels, my friend, much love to you and your family and much love to you out there. This is BC signing off with two words for you.